Hey, it's episode 211. How about that, Hotshot Scott? Hey, look at you all fancied up, holed up in some hotel room in the middle of God knows where. (laughs) We are coming up on our fourth birthday. Did you know that next month? We are. Yes. Unfiltered debuted in November of 2018. Episode zero and episode one. So it's like my third birthday, but the show's fourth birthday, right? The show's fo- was, that's right. You know, he, he butted in at first and right. decided to start this thing with you. And then I came in a little bit later. 211 regular shows. This will be 211 P shows. That's 422, roughly 280 other patron shows. So we Ooh. are at about 700 podcasts in four years. And look what we have to show for it. <laughs> Well, we don't have Byron (laughs) Allen's home. That's for damn sure. Oh, my God. (laughs) Byron Allen. No, we do not. Comics Unleashed. Oh, God. I'm I'm going off on Byron Allen and the other stuff segment. I hope it's just going to it's probably going to sound miserable and jealous and trite, but I'm just going (laughs) to I have to do it. I have to go off on Byron Allen. I just do. Well, you're you're one of 2000 podcasts that are going to go off on Byron Allen this week. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's just this one. Of all the people, Byron Allen. I don't think anybody even knows who Byron Allen is, except for the oh, two of us. God, I would agree with you. Uh, but whatever you, whatever you're going to say, I want the audience to know that I completely echo it because I'm <laughs> jealous and, and confused and bitter uh, and all those things too. If you'd like to access some of those other four or five hundred patron shows, you can do so five dollars a month at MitchUnfiltered.com. There's also a fifty-five dollar a year option on there, so that's even less than twelve or less than $5 a month. Either way, subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. The more people that take 60 seconds to rate and review us, the healthier the show is. If you really want to be a patron and have access, but for whatever reason, the $5 per month is a legitimate problem, just write me at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, kind of like Arnold did. I don't know. The guy that used to run the restaurant in Happy Days? Or no, is this guy not going to be as nice? Different Arnold. Dear Mitch, stop offering to give out the patron shows for free to people who can't swing the five bucks. A, they are lying. B, it's not fair to the people that pay in good faith. Trust me, I'm not one of them. And C, it's not a good deal at zero cost. I'd consider it if you paid me to listen, but would probably end up passing. I've listened to like three of your shows thinking that maybe age and hard knocks might make you a little more entertaining than when you were KJR. Nope. Have a nice day. Arnold in Auburn, Washington. (laughs) Have a nice day. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so he was bitching about the, the patron thing, but he's only listened to a few shows, so I can't really tell where he's coming from. I don't know. I don't know. He's right. not a fan. Arnold and Auburn is not a fan. Yeah. Well, there you go. Get in line. I'm I'm having a little bit of a problem before we start with the whole shoe thing on the head. I know the Mariner season's over, and we'll it talk is. all about that. And maybe the Seahawks season has begun as a result of Sunday's performance against the Cardinals. But I need to go back to this whole shoe on the head, the rally shoe thing. Are you familiar yeah. with this? Oh, sure. We talked about it last episode for a second, right? Yeah. It's a little disconcerting to me. Where is this shoe coming from? Is this a shoe, like an extra shoe you bring into the ballpark for the rally shoe? Please don't tell me that people in a stadium are taking their shoes off and putting it on their head. And if they are, are you telling me with their sock, they're like standing 
at T-Mobile Park with their feet like in some old beer and popcorn and mustard and 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 hot dog? I mean, are they really standing when they have the shoe on their head with their feet on the ground? Yes. Which disgusts you more, the sock on the ground or the dirty shoe on the head? The dirty shoe on the head doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't? No. Well, because that shoe is just where you're disgusted by the sock being. Oh, and now yeah. it's going on your scalp. Now that you point it out, yeah. But typically these people are wearing hats to kind of yeah. protect them. But what are you telling me they're putting their feet down on the cruddy floor of a of a baseball ballpark? Really? Hey, whatever it takes to get that win in, in extra innings. Oh. Whatever it takes. Oh, wait, hold on a second. It didn't even work. <laughs> so, yes, that is what I assume oh, no one's bringing it. I, I think it started. Everyone knows rally cap that's been around for 100 years, right? Yeah. But people who yeah. don't have a rally, don't have a hat. They want to partake in the fun. So what are you going to do? Take off your underpants? I mean, you're, you're stuck. <laughs> underpants. Who calls them know. underpants, by the way? It's underwear, not I underpants. Like underwear makes me uncomfortable. So what are you going to do? You Nothing else you can take off. So you just take off your shoe. I guess that's how it, there has to be one person who started it in this cockamamie city we live in and that person's out there somewhere i'd like to know who it was did it start in seattle did the rally shoe start in seattle i don't remember seeing it until they they showed the fans remember they were watching the game at t-mobile the, the games are in toronto yeah, right or right. Houston. Yes. I, I think it started yeah. for toronto yeah. yeah yeah i think i don't that's the first i ever saw it yeah i don't know and okay. it didn't even work okay the next time i'm at t-mobile and somebody expects me to take my shoe off and put it on my head and then put my sock on the foot, put my feet on the on the ground, I'm going to yeah. pass. Now, again, I have no problem bringing an extra shoe to the ball game. Maybe that defeats the purpose. Maybe the so. shoe is only a rally shoe if you take it off your foot and put it on your head. I have no idea, but I thought I would just tell you, just for starters, I'm never going to adjust to the rally shoe. That's never going to be Mitch Levy. And if that's a problem, if people can't listen unfiltered because I'm never going the rally shoe route, well, then so be it. That's the way it's going to be. It's been said many times that you are not fun. And this is just another example of you not being able to have fun out in public with the rest of everybody. I am plenty fun with my shoes on my feet. Okay. Plenty fun. Week seven of Beat the Boys is on the way, presented by Fireside Home Solutions. I owe everybody a password, okay? And I owe everybody three games for weekend number seven as we continue to make our way through the Beat the Boys competition. Thank you, John Waterstrat, and thank you, Fireside Home Solutions. The password is Walker. Walker, W-A-L-K-E-R. The games in week seven will be Colts at Titans, Giants at Jaguars, Chiefs at Niners. Good ones. Guests on this episode 211, we're going to do a Mariners note table. We've been doing that for the patrons all the last couple of weeks of playoff baseball. We're going to let you in on the Mariners note table. Jason Churchill, Slickhawk, myself, discussing now what for the Mariners now that the offseason is upon us. The Astros series off-season decisions that face Jerry DePoto and Scott Service. What can we do to make this team closer to the Astros? I think that should be everybody's directive during the off-season is what do we have to do to bridge the gap between where we are and where the Astros are? Because we're now a bona fide playoff contending team. There's no question. We've been built the right way. But until we make strides and gain ground on that other American League West team, how far are we really going to go? 
to me, the good news is the gap doesn't feel as big as it did a year or two ago. I mean, they, well, what, 10, nine, one game, four to two, yeah. one, nothing. Right. I mean, well, yeah, I, a, a, a year, a, a year or two ago, the Mariners sucked and the Astros yeah. were great. So yes, right. now that the Mariners are good and the Astros are great, it's certainly not the chasm that was a couple of years ago. But didn't it feel closer than that? I mean, you're sort of like chuckling at, at the notion that the Mariners are close to the Astros. All those games could have gone either way. It wasn't like they got their asses kicked in every game. And now, boy, we got to really figure out how to catch the Astros. I think if you're just judging it based on how close each of the three games were, mm-hmm. you probably would arrive at the conclusion that you've arrived at with your coffee in hand. But I think if you look at the rosters and you say to yourself, okay, what's the reality here? And you look especially offensively at the Astros versus the Seattle Mariners offense. And we're going to talk about this a lot in the, in the first segment. So I don't want to give too much of it away. That is what we're going to discuss on the Mariners note table with Churchill and Slickhawk. And of course, the Seahawks note table reacting to the terrific win for the uh, Seattle Seahawks over the Arizona Cardinals to put them in a tie for first place in the NFC West. Believe it or not, I just said that. Yes, I did. And of course, baby, let's go. Woo! And Rick Neuheisel is going Mm. to be our guest as he is each and every week. We'll talk about a 500 yard passing performance by a University of Washington quarterback that nobody saw because we were too busy spending six and a half hours of our lives on Saturday watching the Mariners and the Houston Astros. Some great pictures of people at the Husky game in the in the concourse just staring at TVs. Now, it wasn't even like they were looking at the TVs waiting to get food or drinks or go to the. No, they were just hanging out in the concourse of the Husky game, trying to watch this Mariner game. because They wanted to see when it ended. They probably went home, had dinner. It still hadn't ended. But yeah, I can't believe anyone was even at the Husky game. Good for those people who went. I actually forgot for our tea segment. We normally start with a stump the band question. And I had one and Uh-oh. I kind of went right by it. Should I, should I before we uh, yeah, before we start the show while we're in uh, the tea segment, can I give you a stump the band question, please? The first pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball to ever be inducted in the Hall of Fame without ever having started a game. Hmm. So like the first modern day reliever to get inducted into the. Well, there were other relievers before him, but those other relievers like Raleigh Fingers and guys like that started some games at some point in their major league career. It waited all the way till 2006 for the first time that a pitcher, a relief pitcher, made the Hall of Fame having never started a game in his professional big league career. It went all the way to 2006. Can you name that person? Dennis Eckersley. It is not Dennis Eckersley, again, because Dennis Eckersley started. He was a starter. He started games at points of his career, yes. The 1979 National League Cy Young Award winner, the 1982 closer who closed out the World Series for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was the first man to perfect the fork ball, Bruce Suter, in oh, okay. 2006. That. That's a good question. 2006. It relates to Seattle or something going on. Was that just a one you just pulled out of nowhere, or does that relate to the Mariners or Seattle somehow? He passed away this week. Oh, I'm laughing. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that. Sorry. that the man, A man has passed away and I'm laughing. My apologies. I didn't see that he passed away. He passed away at the age of 69. And I thought I would use him as a stump the band question to start 
episode 211, even though I didn't use it to start episode 211. Well, rest in peace to him. He was going to be on my RIPs later in the other stuff segment. So it's time to get started. But before we do, we'll tell you again, the guests on this episode 211, Mariners No Table, Jason Churchill, Slickhawk, me, Seahawks No Table, Brady Henderson, Joe Fan, me, and Rick Neuheisel will be the guests on episode 211. Episode 211 just doesn't happen without our sponsors, our partners, like Evergreen Gov Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, and experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, try out the new locations, Seward Park, Terrace Station, and Mount Lake Terrace. And there's a rumor going around that Mark Few visited the Spokane location last week. Download the Zeke's Pizza app today, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, locally owned by the Schwartz family. Love them. Great family. Four locations. Leshy downtown at the Hyatt. South Lake Union atop the world at Bellevue Place. Simply no better place to celebrate special occasions than Daniel's Broiler. World-class steakhouses. Fireside Home Solutions. Up to $300 off. Gas fireplace inserts right now at Fireside. Can't be a better time to plan for fall and winter. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Thanks to Fireside Home Solutions. Beat the boys is up and running. And the password for week number seven is Walker. Lowercase, as in Kenneth. The Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage. So super cool that Jordan Flowers handed out all those tickets to the final Mariners homestand to unfiltered listeners. Just another example of how incredible a partner he has become. Seven minutes is all you need with lead man Jordan Flowers to find out about your mortgage and refinance opportunities. 425-890-2957. Episode 211 of Mitch Unfiltered begins right now unfiltered remember how great jeff nelson was in the eighth inning and then the moment you put him in in the ninth because your closer wasn't available that day he sucked and then he hated to hear about it on kjr the next day (laughs) he'd have like a 0.3 era in the eighth and a 20 in the ninth unfiltered they have put a lot in robbie ray they are counting on robbie ray over the next three or four years to be a significant part of their rotation and i've seen for years i'm old enough to remember god forbid donnie moore i'm old enough to remember mitch williams i'm old there are a litany of examples of guys who have had moments like robbie ray had in game one and they were never the same mitch is unfiltered and now episode 211 hot shot scott is officially underway i'm in vegas You're in the Pacific Northwest. We will get through this together, won't we? It might be hotter in the Pacific Northwest. Holy Lord, it's like 84 degrees in Snoqualmie today, and I don't know why. Is it warm in Vegas? It's very warm in Vegas. Okay, it still feels Vegas-y. And it was red hot at the Barry Manilow concert the other night. He's not in town, is he? He's not in town. It was red hot. Oh, come at the on. Barry Manilow concert. It was also red hot at the Katy Perry concert on Saturday night. Gee, I wonder which one you went to. You No, I, I went to both. You want to ask me how I got over the 18-inning loss on Saturday by my beloved Seattle Mariners to be ousted from the American League playoffs? You know what I did to 
to to recover, I went to see Katy Perry sing Roar and Fireworks, and I kissed oh, a yeah. girl, and I liked oh. it, and the whole thing, yeah. <laughs> you celebrate with a big Diet Coke? Is that how you, you, you partied your ass off in Vegas? The cherry chapstick and everything else. Did you say you had a car story to start off? I just episode? give you a quick, a quick don't tempt the car god story. This okay. is just... All right, so I took my wife's Audi in to get serviced, yeah. and I, I know that the water pump is leaking. It's not leaking badly. It's probably a $2,500 job, depending upon where you go. And I was like, well, I just fill it with coolant once a month. I'll, I'm not here for that right now. And the guy looks at me and says, that thing might be on an extended warranty. I was like, well, it's a 2015. He said, eight-year, 80,000-mile warranty for the water pump. Let, let me look it up. Meaning, if it's under warranty, I get the whole thing replaced for free. Right. So I'm like, oh, don't tease me, please. He texts me and says, good news. It's an 80,000-mile warranty. How many miles were on my wife's car? 79,564. <laughs> Let's go. Woo-hoo! Audi coming through with a free water pump. I'm telling you, that's a pretty expensive job. Two days later, my wife's taking a corner on the way to dropping off Piper, rams into a Tesla, and we're back, baby. We're back. Jesus Christ, I can't win. I told anyone who would listen about my free water pump that now her car is sitting in the goddamn body shop. That's what I get for tempting the car gods. Never brag about anything you get for free for your car because that's what will happen. Oh, God. But my wife's okay. But but she's okay, and her her car is in the body shop. But so is the Tesla, and it sounds like it was her fault. It's uh, I'm not going to confirm or deny. We're still working that out with the insurance company as to whose fault it was. Um, but I'll have you know that uh, I guess I didn't see, but the the Tesla was just had some scratches, and I don't know why my wife's car just got pummeled. I mean, I, it's not just cosmetic; it doesn't drive correctly. It's gutless. Maybe she injured the turbo. It's, there's some there's some air intake valves there. I don't know. It doesn't drive right, so. So, yeah, the insurance has to pay for Tesla, has to pay for the Audi. And I just got done bragging to anyone who would listen about my free fucking water pump. Can't win. I hate cars. Uh, Worst. Where did you you watch the Houston Astros and Seattle Mariners in game three of the American League Divisional playoffs that went 18 innings? The first playoff game, by the way, back in Seattle in about 21 years. Where'd you watch it? Well, I do have a new job, which we'll talk about, not this episode, but at some point. Oh, yeah. So actually, I had to work Saturday and I was done at five. I get in my car and I listen. I have I kind of watching it on my phone, which I probably shouldn't do either with one car in the body shop. But I have it on in my car at at five o'clock. I get home around five thirty where we watch a couple innings, hoping it'll end because we want to go to dinner. We go to dinner and that's where our hearts were broken was at a, a Mexican restaurant in Snoqualmie at whatever time it ended. But Piper was there. She sat for all 18, all 18 innings of it. But yeah, I watched it in a restaurant. Where were you? I was here. I was here in Las Vegas watching it uh, in our hotel room. I had dinner planned, so I had to take my phone with me to watch it in the middle of the restaurant. And I thought for a second at six and a half hours, it was going to go right into the Katy Perry concert. I mean, I was going to be the only guy at a Katy Perry concert, not paying attention to Katy Perry, but right. instead the, uh, the Seattle, the Seattle Mariners and the Houston Astros. But, uh, Did you sit and literally watch every inning, every like, pitch I saw oh every, God. every single pitch. And, you know, I felt like the whole time I was watching I know they felt like this at the stadium, too. I just felt like the whole time I was watching that the Mariners were going to find a way to win game three. I just I don't know. I, I just maybe wishful thinking. Yeah. I thought this thing was going to go four. I thought there were going to be two playoff games in in Seattle. I thought they were going to have to move the start time of the Seahawks game, the two thirty. Right. It just felt like somehow, some way we're not going to the Mariners are not going to win this series because they're just not good enough. 
That's right. But, the, but they're going to win game three. And I just waited for it to happen and waited for it to happen. And it never did. And I thought I was going to be more miserable during the Katy Perry concert than I was. And I think the reason, there's a few reasons why I don't find myself as bitter and angry and sad and depressed as I normally do when my favorite team is ousted from a playoffs in excruciating fashion. And I think that the two reasons, I kind of alluded to this in the first segment or the, the T segment is, A, I think the Astros are just better one or two best teams in baseball. When you look at their lineup, and I know some of these guys didn't even have good series against the Mariners, but when you just look at them, Alvarez is a monster. Altuve didn't get a hit. He was terrible all series, but he's a pain in the ass and he hits 300 every year. Uh, Bregman is terrific. Pena was the story for me of the entire series. We'll come back to him. And he's the guy with no playoff experience, the rookie the right. rookie shortstop ended up being, you know, he hit the home run and he did some other things that I think we'll talk about here in a second. Tucker, the 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 skinny right fielder is really really good. Guriel. Guriel hits 243 during the regular season and the Mariners simply can't get him out during the postseason. He's probably the best 243 hitter you've ever seen. Just right. about every single one of the guys that I just mentioned, every one of them hits 20 to 30 home runs during the course of the year and drives in like 80 or under runs. I just mentioned seven guys. How many How many Mariners can you, can you mention? In fact, to put it in its proper perspective, of all the guys that I just mentioned, I think I mentioned seven Astros, the worst hitter of the bunch is Gurriel. He hit 243 during the regular season. He had like seven hits against the Mariners in that playoff series. How many Mariner regulars have a higher batting average than the worst Astro that I just mentioned. Did you understand the question? I just told you that Gurriel is a 243 hitter. He's the worst of all that bunch. Alvarez and Altuve and Bregman and Pena and Tucker and all those guys. Gurriel is the worst of that bunch at 243. How many Mariners are actually better than the worst of the bunch? As far as average goes, yeah. As far as average Uh, goes. Yep. I don't know. I might be out. Ty France. Ty France. Okay. And that's it. Julio and Ty France. Yeah. And so if you've got only two guys in your lineup, that's as good as they're essentially the worst guy of their top six or seven hitters. If you've only got two guys, think about it. I play the percentages. If I, if I step to a craps table, which I've, didn't do, or I go to a blackjack table or I play poker or I, whatever I do, I'm always thinking about the angles and the percentages because over the long run numbers win. And if there are 40 plate appearances in four games, okay, 40 plate appearances for each team over four games, that's 160 plate appearances. The numbers are going to ultimately win out a lot more than yeah. not. Now, in this case, the Mariners kind of overcame the percentages and they played them tough. They didn't win a game. I mean, we can talk about how close they were in all three games, but at the end of the day, they didn't win a game. They need to win three. They didn't win a game. But over the course of the long haul, numbers went out. Percentages play out. And if you say, okay, but Mitch, it's not all about hitting. It's not all about batting average. It's not all about 20 or 30 home runs. Well, their starting pitching staff, we love our starting pitching staff. They love theirs too. Theirs right. is really, really good too. We love our bullpen. Their bullpen is better than our bullpen. Right. So when you look at the two teams, the Astros are just better. 
You say it's close because the Mariners played close games. I don't think it's particularly close, especially when you look at them up and down their lineup offensively. I'm not all that heartbroken because I kind of went in with the realization that this would be a pretty substantial upset if the Mariners were able to win this series over the the Houston Astros. And the other thing that I, I, I want to talk a little bit about is how I feel about where the Mariners are. Okay. I think helps cushion the blow. I asked Slickhawk this on the Mariners note table that we recorded for patrons after game five. So I'll ask you the same question. Trivia question. Where were you on January 13th, 2013? January 13th. Yes. 2013. Wow. I don't know. I know what you were doing. You don't, but I know what you were doing. You were watching the NFC playoffs between the Seattle Seahawks and the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta on January 13th, 2013. Yeah. I'm going to remind you what happened in that game. A very young upstart Seahawks team went into the went into the dome. Marshawn Lynch scored a two-yard touchdown with 31 seconds and on a Ryan Longwell extra point. Longwell. The Seahawks took a 28 to 27 lead with 30 seconds to go in that game. It's two. over. And the Falcons took the opening kickoff, took the next kickoff, the ensuing kickoff. Matt Ryan to Harry Douglas for 22 yards. Matt Ryan to Tony Gonzalez for 19 yards. And Matt Bryant, a 29-yard field goal on the game's final play. Final score, Falcons 30, Seattle Seahawks 28. It was gut-wrenching. What was our what was our thought as Seahawks fans after that game? As what, what, what do they need to add for next year? Do you remember? What I remember overall, I don't know what they needed to add. They ended up adding, I think, Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill. But the reason I bring that up is the obvious. That was a that was a bone crushing loss to lose a playoff game when you have the lead with thirty seconds to go on two plays and a field goal. That's bone crushing. But it was twenty thirteen, and the way that Seahawks team had been built, Russell Wilson was brand new. Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Doug Baldwin, they all were brand new. We just knew. We knew coming out of that game, as tough as that was to swallow, we knew coming out of that game that, oh boy, if the Seahawks don't mess this up, this could be a really good team for a lot of years to come. And what happened? They went on to win a Super Bowl. They went to another Super Bowl. They should have won the second Super Bowl. I bring that up because I kind of have the same feeling about this Mariners team playing that playoff series against the Astros as I did about that Seahawks team going to Atlanta. And it's because of the way it's been built. You know, there have been baseball teams for, you remember, for for decades that go out and they buy free agents and you get one year, like that Florida Marlins team that was kind of bought and they try to win one real quickly and then they dismantle it the next year. There are there are teams that are built the opposite. This one, when you think of the pitching staff and who's under contract and Julio's extended and Luis Castillo is extended, and you know they've they've done everything that the, that you 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 want them to do up until this point. I mean, they've got more to do, but you just look at. George Kirby's under club control for another five or six years. Logan Gilbert is under club control for another five or six years. Yeah, we're down on Robbie Ray, but he is under club control for another four years. You you need to add a couple of pieces, a couple of key pieces during the offseason, 
and you are looking at a similar run, perhaps, as the 2013 Seattle Seahawks. Here's the big difference. There was no Houston Astros at the time for the Seahawks. Gotcha. There is a team in the AL West, your division, that's one of the best teams in baseball and winning 105, 106 games every single year. It's hard to go into every season wanting to get a wild card because a great team is in your division that's got your road blocked. Yeah, I mean, think about how hot the Mariners were at the end of the year. They couldn't get within 10 games of the Astros to yeah. give you an idea of how good the Astros were all year, right? Yeah. What the Mariners, what they play like 773 or something, some crazy, they couldn't come near them. To, I mean, to your point, I mean, the Astros just said, we'll take first, we'll hog it all year, have fun with the wild card. So yeah, it's frustrating. Right. They'll enter next season if they do nothing at all as a playoff team. Just about everybody will be picking them to be probably a wild card team in the American League now that there's three teams that make the wild card in the American League. Just about everybody will be picking the Seattle Mariners because of their rotation. The question is, what are you going to do during the offseason to make this even better? Because the truth is, if you listen to Jason Churchill, he's great. You should listen to him on the Mariners' note table. He is just great. He says it very, very well. He states it very well. The Mariners have got guys hitting out of position in their lineup because they're just not, they just don't have the right guys hitting in their life. You know, the Astros have the right guy leading off. They've got the right guy hitting second. They've got the right guy hitting third, fourth, fifth, sixth. I mean, they're, they're just perfectly built offensively. And the Mariners have guys like Ty France hitting second. He shouldn't be. They've got Julio leading off. Maybe he should be batting second or third. They've got no real cleanup hitter, so they end up with Mitch Haniger or Suarez or Cal Raleigh. I mean, Cal Raleigh's a nice player. We all love Cal Raleigh. He right. should not be – Cal Raleigh doesn't hit cleanup on a, great, right. on a great base, but they've got guys out of position in the order because they don't have – they don't have enough true blue hitters to place in the right spots of the order and push everybody into their appropriate spot. So the Mariners have work to do, but there's no reason not to be very, very encouraged. You guys must have discussed this, I'm sure, but so in the offseason then, are you are, – from what you said, does that suggest they got to go out and get a couple bats? I mean, is it as simple yes. as the Seahawks going out and getting a couple pass rushers? Because that drive that Matt Ryan put together, we couldn't get anywhere near him. Remember the final drive for Atlanta? Everyone's right. like, we got to get pass. They go get Cliff Averill and, and or Cliff Averill, whatever you say. Cliff Averill. Averill. Yeah. Him and Avril Levine confused. Yeah. And Michael Bennett. And then they win a Super Bowl. So what's the plan for the Mariners? Two, two bats, three bats, one. Yes. The question is, how much are they willing to do? They've always been a bit frugal during the offseason. And maybe behind closed doors, they would say, hold on, Seattle Mariners fans. No giving us a hard time. We just shelled out for Robbie Ray last offseason. Mm -hmm. We went during the middle of the year and got Luis Castillo from the Reds. We gave up a lot of prospects to get him. And then we extended him and gave him $100 million. And on top of it all, oh, by the way, Julio Rodriguez, our star that we didn't really have to deal with for five or six years. We did it anyway. We gave him potentially a $400 million contract. So no pointing fingers at us during the, the offseason if we don't spend in free agency. But the point of the matter is they need to spend in free agency. Right. They need there's about there's about four or five huge free agent shortstops. And I think that the Seattle Mariners, everybody and their brother wants the Seattle Mariners to go get one of those guys. 
somebody like Carlos Correa, who is a free agent, now playing with the Twins, used to play for the Astros. You get a guy like him or Xander Bogarts or some one of these one of these five or six mega shortstops in free agency, and everything changes because now you take J.P. Crawford and you move him to second base. Hmm. That settles your second base issue. That settles your shortstop issue. You take Carlos Correa or whoever it is that you get at shortstop and you put him right in the middle of your lineup. Well, now you have your number two hitter. Now Ty France doesn't have to hit number two. And you you see the point. Yeah. By getting one or two free agents, offensive free agents, you could take a huge step towards becoming not just a playoff contender, but a serious World Series contender. And the neat thing is, is what we just talked about. Your your starting rotation is set. You're good. You don't have right. to do anything with your starting rotation. And How many teams can say that, right? I mean, that's a pretty cool luxury to have. Almost nobody can say that. Yeah. You can. Your bullpen, which struggled in the playoffs, is pretty well set, too. So you don't have to do much with the bullpen. You've got Mitch Hanniger, who's a free agent. I don't know if you want him back or you don't want him back, but you got to figure that out. The neat thing is strings are tied, if that makes sense. Yeah, right. They're in a good, pretty good spot. I mean, they're in a great spot if they're willing to come, spend money. And they're willing to spend money, yeah, if they are. If they're willing I to mean, spend money. They're not the Yankees, right? So I don't know what, what, what sort of expectation can Mariner fans have. They're, they're not the Dodgers. By the way, that, that worked out for the Dodgers, right? I love it. it. Makes me laugh. But I mean, what what can we honestly expect considering what market we're in? Are they going to go out and get two or three big names? Is it going to be one? What do you know. think? I don't know. It really comes down to John Stanton and what they're willing to spend. These these shortstops, we're talking, you know, we're talking $30, 35000000 million a year for these guys. $30 million Ooh. a year. And, and yeah. long-term, guaranteed, big commitment contracts for one of these five guys. Are the Mariners willing to... Now, it's easy for me to spend other other people's money, but I, I, I got to believe that ticket sales, think about ticket sales for next year compared to what ticket sales must have been for this year and the previous three or four years. There's a lot. I mean, I, I myself already went out. I already went out and bought a package for next year. Yeah. I would think that right out of the gate, they're going to move a lot more tickets before the season starts next year because of what we're talking about. So. Yeah. And look, we gave them a home playoff game where they got two games worth of concession sales. They should be rolling in it right now. I mean, come on, two full games on one day. Piper said they ran out of everything. They ran out of food. They ran out of drinks. People are starving and thirsty and they can't get anything. The concession just got pummeled after 18 innings. But I mean, it was frustrating. 17 innings. They needed one home run. One swing of the bat could have ended that thing. They got no runs in 18 innings. So 18 innings. I guess it is pretty obvious that you got to go out and get a couple bats. But I've never been this excited about the offseason. I can't wait. I can't wait to follow it. The free agent. I can't. 166 days until opening day. I haven't been this stoked. Like you said, I'm not sad about it. I mean, what a what an incredible what an they they leveled up in the in the video game world, right? They leveled up. I don't they know made what that the playoffs. Well, you know, you you go to the next level. I guess you can probably figure it out. Yeah. They make the yeah. playoffs. They win a playoff series. And they didn't get their asses kicked by the best team on paper in the American League. I'm encouraged, and I can't wait. Can't wait for the offseason. It's been a while since I could say that. If they could have only gotten Jeremy Pena out, and I don't mean just when he hit the home run in the 18th yeah. inning. It's unbelievable. You mentioned all of these great, great players for the Houston Astros that have a billion games of playoff experience, and it's the one young guy. The rookie, I know. <laughs> I mean, think about this. They lost game one. 
because Alvarez hit a home run with two outs in the ninth inning to steal the game from you, right? Mm -hmm. What happened right before Alvarez hit the home run in the ninth inning? I mean, I think it was Seawall. Didn't he let a couple of rookies uh, get on base? Pena. Uh, Pena, yeah, was one of them. Was there? I can't remember who else was on base. Jeremy Pena. If if Seawald gets Pena out, yeah, the game is over. There's two outs and Pena's up, and he yep. he gets a base hit, and Alvarez he extends the inning, and Alvarez comes up and hits the home run to win the game. That's game one. Yeah. Game two, Alvarez hits the home run late in the game, sixth or seventh inning, to put him up one. Oh, by the way, that was a two out home run. And that would have never happened. He would have let off the next inning if guess who didn't get on right before him with two outs. The Mariners could not get Pena out. Pena gets on, extends the inning, and Alvarez hits the home run, right? Then in the ninth inning of game two, if you recall, it's still only a one-run game. No, actually, it's the bottom of the eighth in Houston. It's only a one-run game. The Mariners are trying to keep it to a one-run game. And you remember... They walked Alvarez on purpose, four, four fingers, and then uh-huh. and then Bregman came up and got the hit to give him a two-run lead. Yeah. Why did they walk Alvarez on purpose? Because guess who got on base with two outs? The batter before they could not get Pena out. And then in game three in the 18th inning, Pena hits the home run. So everybody's going to make out Alvarez to be the hero, which he was. But none of that happens. None of it happens if they just get the rookie who's never played in a postseason series out before Alvarez comes to the plate. It's discouraging that a team is perennially as good as the Astros. I I said that. It sucks that they have a rookie. Like They just keep reloading with this amazing rookie. I'm just waiting for them all to get old and go away, but... Here we go with these another young, incredible rookie who'll probably have a great career. It's frustrating. I mean, like you said, they're gonna the Astros aren't gonna get they're not gonna be bad next year, right? They're not gonna be old no. and lose everyone. Like the Niners got old overnight, you know, when when they were good. It's that's not happening to the Astros. So yeah, it's a little frustrating for sure. No question about it. Let's do uh, three segments of interviews. We've got Seahawks to talk about. We've got Huskies to talk about. A lot of other stuff to talk about as well. Yes. As we continue episode two eleven. It's time for a visit with Lindsay Schwartz, the CEO of Daniel's Broiler, my favorite spot for special occasions. What's going on over there, Lindsay? Hey, Mitch. Great talking to you. Yeah, there's lots going on. Just wrapping up a great remodel at our Bellevue location. We've got Thanksgiving coming up in a few Ooh. weeks. And you know what? I'll even do a plug for Zeke's Pizza, man. We had a uh, we had an office get-together a couple weeks ago. It was amazing. The Dragon Pizza. <laughs> uh, I had never had it before, and it changed my life. Oh. I, I'm, I'm hooked. I need more. Aren't Bring you it. nice to throw in another sponsor? In your time here on Mitch Unfiltered. Now, my son is a highfalutin busboy at that Bellevue location, and he keeps telling me about the remodel. Give us more specifics, if you would. 
Yeah, it's great. You know, we opened that location in 1989, so you and I are old enough to, uh, well, maybe you weren't in town yet, but it's been around a long time. We do kind of a significant remodel about every 10 years or so, and uh, it was time. We did some really cool things in the bar. The back bar has been redesigned. It's a different look. Looks great. And I think the most dramatic thing people will notice is the south side of the restaurant. We elevated part of the floor to improve the view. We opened up some walls. It just is great. So to the south, you can see Mount Rainier. To the southwest, you can see downtown Seattle. We're really happy with it. People should come check it out. And then you mentioned Thanksgiving. Some of our audience might say, isn't it a little early to be talking about Thanksgiving? It's never too early to talk about Thanksgiving at Daniel's Broiler because reservations go so fast. It's the biggest single day every year for you over the course of the calendar year, right? Yeah, that's right. It's become that over the last few years, but we open all four locations at noon. We go noon to eight, do a great three-course meal at Leshy, Lake Union, and Bellevue. Uh, We have turkey, of course, but you could also do prime rib, pork roast, plant-based ravioli, or salmon. And then at, uh, at the downtown location, we do a buffet. So it's a little bit different, same basic food, but buffet style. So depending on what you like the best, but yeah, it really is the most likely day to sell out that and Valentine's Day. So people should jump on and get reservations online or call, whatever's easy. All right, call the restaurant or go online to danielsbroiler.com. Get your reservations early for Thanksgiving this year at one of the four terrific locations of Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Here's the pitch. And he drives this one to left center field. Back on it, Rodriguez. Onto the warning track. See it rise! See it rise! The Astros lead 1-0 on the jack from Pena. And Rodriguez lifts it in the center right at Dubon. Comes in a couple of steps, makes the catch, and that is the ball game. The Houston Astros are headed back to the ALCS as they sweep the Mariners in the division series. It's time for another edition of the Mariners No Table, ladies and gentlemen. And it's a it's a somber edition. The magical ride of the Mariners is over after that excruciating Game 3. An excruciating series, for that matter. Jason Churchill, host of the award-winning All Things Baseball, of which I've still not been invited to be as a guest. And my old KJR colleague, Matt Slickhawk Miklas, Jason, you get the first word after losses. You know that. That's the way it it works on the Mariners' note table. Start with game three on Saturday, or was it Sunday? Maybe it was both days. I don't know. Is it still going? Six and a half (laughs) hours later. Kind of like in microcosm, the Mariners' regular season. Good starting pitching, a bullpen that was strong, but the bats went dead again. Yeah, it really was. And and that's obviously disappointing because we've seen them do some things, especially early in games to give you a lot of confidence in the offense. And when you score a couple of runs early, it gives you confidence. You can continue to do it late. And it just, we just didn't see that on, uh, on Saturday in game three, but uh, it, you have to come out of that game. Just thinking you just need a couple of bleeders and you didn't even get that. And one of the things I like to do after games is I'll go to baseball savant and I'll check out Hey, did they hit the ball hard a lot and it just didn't seem like it? Or, you know, did it seem like they hit the ball hard a lot and they didn't? I'll go do that. And neither team really did that a whole lot. This was a a quintessential pitchers doing, not just the starting pitchers, but the bullpens also went toe to toe. 
And Houston got a hit, you know, a big hit when they, you know, when they needed one and Seattle didn't, it really just comes down to that. So lucky you were there. What was it like? What was it like to be there? Uh, It was, it was like you would expect from any, any event where the fan base hasn't had an opportunity to be there for 21 years. It was loud from start to finish and everything in between. It's one of the loudest things I've been a part of and the energy just threw out. And I, I don't know yet what it, I've rec- I got it recorded. So I don't know yet what it looked like on TV. I've got to imagine it looked just as good as it felt being there because uh, it was, it was a hell of an experience. What was it like when Felix came out to throw out the first oh, pitch? And God. did you know, did everybody know by the time he did so? Or was that a surprise? I don't think so. Uh, Amy, had, my wife, Amy, she had just seen a tweet about it like five minutes beforehand. But so we so I kind of knew. So I was a little bit prepared. Uh, you never really prepared. I, I was still a mess. I was still a bawling mess. We both were. Um, anytime Felix is involved, that's just going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, that was the perfect, obviously the perfect choice. You, you, you had to figure if there's any chance at all that, that uh, you could get him there, that, that he's going to be there. So uh, everybody um, had the, the appropriate emotions. Did it feel like as the innings went on and on and on, 12, 13, 15, 16, that the Mariners were just going to figure out a way to win? Or was there this kind of doom and gloom like, uh, this isn't going to happen. They're going to score a run at some point and we're going to lose one nothing. Well, just certainly, I, I think just because of the energy, it never felt like it always felt like they were just somebody's going to come through with that moment. Maybe it's maybe it's Demo who who came in, you know, kind of middle of the game, or maybe it's going to be uh, maybe it's going to be, you know, obviously he had Julio and he, he had his chances. He's like, who's going to be the hero? Who's going to be the guy? And he, and he probably figured it wasn't going to be Kelnick or, or Frazier. But right. <laughs> but no, it, just, it did. It just felt like it was it was just one swing away because it was. And you were just ready and expecting that. And 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 the energy was um, it was just the pressure cooker was there all day, just ready, ready to explode yeah. for the top to just pop off. And it that never moment just never, never came. It got close with Julio yeah. dotting the left field oh. fence and it just couldn't get a little bit of elevation on that baseball because that that would have been it. What was the exit twice that happened in this series, guys, where a ball was hit really hard and because of the swing path and because of it ended up being a liner instead of a fly ball, Jared Kelnick's line out earlier in the series and he gets under that just a tad. We're talking about millimeters here. He hits it out. It's a two run shot. It's a completely different game. Same thing with Julio. But I just got the feeling as soon as the ninth inning hit and as soon as they get to a point where they pulled Suarez and put in Dylan Moore in that game, that it was going to have to be Julio or they weren't scoring a run. That's the feeling <laughs> I got after the ninth inning that if Julio didn't hit one out or hit one in the gap after somebody hit a bleeder, that they just weren't going to score a run and win this game. And unfortunately that came. What was the exit you- velo? Of that of that shot, do you know, Jason? One one twelve and change for, mm. for Julio. Yeah, it was the hardest hit ball in the game, at least until the Pena home run. I didn't mm. see what the number was on the on the Pena homer, but you know, when you hold the top three in the order uh, of the Astros to one for twenty three, and the one hit you give up is the one that kills you, oh. it's really difficult to look at anything except offensive execution. Oh. And this, we've talked about execution a lot already you know, uh, in this postseason, it's only been five games. It's only five games. And we talked about it a ton, but when you don't execute, when you don't move a guy over, when you don't, uh, you get a two Oh count 
and you end up in a two, two count and swinging at a pitch out of the zone. This, this literally just comes down to the Houston because the conversations I'm having, you know, all since the game ended, you know, that this entire time for hours and hours and hours after that game on Saturday was, you know, Hey, what's the biggest difference? It is offense, but you can't just drag that Mariners offense out there and not look across the field and say, yeah, but the maybe the best offense in the American League and the Houston Astros was also held without a run for 17 innings. Sometimes <laughs> things like this just happen, and it's just about, you know, it, you, you make one bad pitch or a guy makes a great read on a pitch like Payne did on the home run, and that, that's what happened. You know, Seattle's just not where Houston is yet, but Saturday's game three was just one of those games. Like, if it went long enough, Seattle was going to win, and it just didn't go long enough. Jason, before we talk about the... Um the offseason, and we turn our attention to bridging the gap between the Mariners and the Astros this offseason. Let's get a word in here about George Kirby. George Ooh. Kirby was passed over for a start in the Toronto series. Ain't too many series in the future, playoff series in the future, wherever he's playing baseball, where George Kirby is ever going to get passed over for a start again. Yeah, he was absolute money in this game. And I've been, you know, kind of riding this horse, you know, in a line all by myself that George Kirby's actually already better than and going to be better than Logan Gilbert. And Logan Gilbert's really, really good. But you saw why I feel that way on Saturday. You get in a big game, in a big situation, he goes seven, what gives up six hits, uh, no runs, no walks, five strikeouts. But most of all, absolutely pounds the strikes. I think 92 pitches, 65 strikes and his like masterful use of his fastballs were crazy. I'm a big fastball value guy. When you can get a lot of outs with your fastball and not have to go to the secondary stuff over and over and over again. Yeah. When you do get to a situation where, all right, here's my opportunity to use my secondary stuff. It's going to be that much better. He really didn't need it on Saturday, which is absolutely remarkable. You don't see guys do that, especially in this day and age where it's about throwing balls that hitters will chase out of the zone. But when you face a team like Houston, who's the most disciplined offense in all of baseball, they do not chase. You have to throw strikes. And that means your pitches have to be in the zone or really near the zone and they have to have action and you have to be able to get swings and misses and you have to be able to get weak contact. And he did that boy, rookie 24, all this talk about Julio Rodriguez, but to be honest with you, if I'm voting for rookie of the year in the American league, yeah, Julio's the guy and Adley Rutschman in Baltimore, probably number two, but Kirby's a, a really close number three for me in this race. He was mm. terrific on Saturday and in a really, really good season. And he'd be the, if I had to pick one reason why at some point in the future, when you look down the line that Seattle might have an advantage over everybody in the division, including the Houston Astros, you know, obviously Julio on center, George Kirby's right there. You have to have that kind of balance because when you look at this team, Seattle does have their Jeremy Pena. That's probably Cal Raleigh and they have their Jordan Alvarez. That's probably Julio Rodriguez. They just don't have the other guys. They don't have Altuve. They don't have Alex Bregman. That's what they need and need to go out and get this offseason. Slicky, where were you on January 13th, 2013? Do you know? Oh boy, I'm, I might have been at CenturyLink Field. I know where actually. you. No, you weren't at CenturyLink Field. <laughs> no, you no, were no. not at Century. If you were at CenturyLink Field, I don't know what you were watching at CenturyLink Field. I think you were right. in front of your television on January thirteenth, twenty thirteen, watching the Seahawks play the Falcons in oh, a playoff yeah. game. Uh, the Seahawks took the lead with twenty eight seconds to go on mm-hmm. a on a Marshawn Lynch touchdown run, and then an extra point 
by yep. Ryan Longwell, believe it or not. And, and then for 28 seconds, Matt Ryan brought him down in two plays. One was to Tony Gonzalez, and they kicked a 49-yard field goal to beat the Seahawks 30-28 to for the playoffs in uh, January of 2013. Why do I bring that up? The obvious. That game really, really stung. It stung because you had the game won. Mm -hmm. This series really, really stings. But what you remember about that playoff game is all those guys were brand new. The Doug Baldwins and the Richard Shermans and the Earl Thomases and the Camp Chancellors and Marshawn was kind of new to the team and the Russell Wilsons. They all, they all were brand new and you just knew. This was the start of something big. And I have a very similar feeling based on the way this team was built, who's under contract for next year, who's not. When you look at the whole picture in its totality, it feels like the way we felt about the Seahawks after that loss to the Falcons. 100%. I said this as I was walking out of T-Mobile on, on Saturday night. I said this. I said I'm not disappointed. I'm not upset. I'm proud of this team. And th th what this team is right now is what the Seahawks were after the 2012 season. And, and that is a team that, look, they're, they're young. They're, it's early in the process. They're going to go. They're going to retool. They're going to add some pieces in the offseason, just like the Seahawks. They just need they need to add a couple pieces like Cliff Averill and, and Michael Bennett, probably a better kicker than, than what did you say? It was Ryan Longwell. Ryan Longwell. I don't even remember that guy. I don't even remember that guy in a, in a, in a Hawks. Uniform. Uh, and uh, but and then all of a sudden it was it was Super Bowl time. Yeah. So yeah. Th this team is right there. They're going to add pieces. It's a young team. It's a great nucleus. I can't wait to see what's what's going to happen this offseason. I have I have ideas. I'm sure okay. Jason has ideas what they should do. Sure. But I, I think that we're right there exactly so, where the Seahawks were in 2012. So let's jump into it a little bit, Jason. And we have time. We have a long offseason to, to reconvene and talk about it some more. It feels like that the only real position player contract questions, contract questions, are... Mitch Hanniger, they got to figure out what they want to do. I'd like to get your thoughts on Mitch Hanniger. And I think Adam Frazier and Carlos Santana might be at the end of their deals as well. Do you have any thoughts before we get to trades and free agency and how the Mariners can catch up on the Astros in the AL West? You have a thought on Hanniger, Frazier, and or Santana? Yeah, I think Frazier, I think they let Frazier walk because one of the opportunities that they're going to have, at least to start the offseason to improve that lineup to improve the offense is going to be around the infield, whether it be shortstop or second base. So Adam Frazier, they probably just let him walk at this point and see if they can go out and get one of those uh, four big free agent shortstops. And if not look around at the Brandon Lows of the world and, and maybe the Jeff McNeil's of the world, if they strike out on the shortstops and see what happens, I'm of the opinion that they need to be plus two. They need to be net two on adding significant bats. I think they'll continue to, aside from that, to, to try to find, you know, marginal upgrades everywhere to try to improve the bullpen to maybe try to replace Marco Gonzalez as the number five in the rotation and do things like that. But the significant moves have to be in the middle of that order. And I think they need net two. And when I say net two, I mean, if they're going to keep Mitch Hanniger around, they need two bats. If they're going to let Mitch Hanniger walk, then they need three. 
that that's wow. that's the way I'm looking at. It. They don't three. need three superstars, but you need three above average bats if you're going to let Mitch Haniger walk. If you keep Mitch Haniger, you need two. Do, should they and I'd keep, like one of those to be a superstar? Should they keep Mitch Haniger? It's a really good question. I think it depends on the number. Uh, if if it were me, I would tender the qualifying offer. I would I would offer him the QO. And if he accepts, just be okay with paying Mitch Haniger $18, $19 million for one season wow. and see what I can do wow. there. What I wouldn't want to do, because you have the room to do that, but what I wouldn't want to do at this point is commit three plus years to a guy who I don't even know if he's going to be available. They have to get high probability uh, you know, additions to this lineup and and feel really good about them being available. You you just can't go there with Mitch Haniger. And I'm glad you guys brought up Cliff Favorel and Michael Bennett. I think it's the perfect way to look at what Seattle might have to do this offseason offensively if they can't convince one of those shortstops to come. And if they go out and they they say, hey, we think we can get, we're going to offer them top dollar. If they just can't get them to take their money, then what might happen is more of a, you know, like a volume kind of a thing. Like you're going to go out and get three or four average bats or average to slightly above average bats to replace some of the, the substandard offensive options that they're using right now. And because when they said, when, when the Seahawks signed clip, Averill and Michael Bennett, people didn't go, Oh, it's on now. They were like, mm-hmm. okay, okay. Mm-hmm. We'll see what's gone. Neither one of those guys were really great at that point, but they fit the scheme. They played really well. Obviously Michael Bennett turned into a pro bowler. Um, but Seattle can do that. There's some, there's some names out there that are like Brandon Nimmo is a name. I'd like to hear Seattle go after yep. the toss out. If you want to make a trade, I like Ian Happ in Chicago. Uh, and you can do both of those guys. If you're going to let Mitch Haniger walk, but I would be really aggressive on one of those shortstops. If you can get any one of those four shortstops, that's Dansby Swanson, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, or Xander Bogarts, who's expected to opt out of his deal with the Boston Red Sox. If you can get any of the four what, to listen. What and are take we your talking money, about? Are we talking about $30 million a year? What are we talking about? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And and when you look at what Seattle tried to do last year with Trevor Story, they were willing to go 140 plus million dollars on Trevor Story. But let me interrupt you. Mm-hmm. We can talk about Trevor Story, but let me interrupt you because it really brings up the next point. And that is after the Julio signing, the big extension, after they went out midseason and got Luis Castillo and signed him to an extension mm-hmm. and the Robbie Ray deal of a year ago, is it fair for Mariners fans to expect the Mariners to go out and spend another $30 million a year on a big name shortstop or have they satisfied what we've been asking of them all these years? Like the question really here is, is it fair for Mariners fans to expect Mariners ownership to actually want to win? That's the question we're actually asking you at this point. They are like, this is the first time that's actually been true. I think it's been a little unfair to expect up to basically now up to actually coming into the 2022 season to expect Seattle to go out and spend significant dollars because they just weren't ready to do it. It wouldn't have made any sense before the 2019 season or the 2020 season to go out and sign a 30 year old left-hander like they just did last year with Robbie Ray. It made sense before this season. They only have $84 million committed to about nine players right now heading into the 2023 season. If you add the other guys that are making the minimum, the Logan Gilberts, the Cal Raleigh's and things like that, you're still under $110 million. And that includes the arbitration eligible guys. This baseball team under the previous ownership and the current ownership has spent 150 to $175 million on payroll multiple times before. 2016, 2070, 2000, like they were, those were pretty large payrolls. Even if you're telling me they're probably only going to go to about 150. 
you got about 40, $45 million a year to spend on that. They have plenty of room. And if you go out and you're able to move a Marco Gonzalez and save $5 million, that's that much more money you got to go get. So they got to go out and be competitive for the Carlos Correa's and the Xander Bogarts. And if you can get Trey Turner to listen, absolutely. That should be their number one goal, but they need two or three guys offensively to step in and be above average to plus contributors from that side of the ball. And in that way, you take a significant step into being a lot more like the Houston Astros being able to go out because the goal guys should be once we start our season, we are world series contenders. If you can't say that on April one or whenever opening day is the, the off season probably didn't go the way you wanted it to. I'm not saying it's a failure. And if that doesn't happen, like Jerry Depoto should be fired and all of that, but that should be your goal going into the off season. And if it means you have to spend, you know, a, on a $30 million a year contract and a $20 million a year contract and a $12 million a year contract, then so be it. You're still going to own a payroll heading into 2023 that looks a lot more like 2012, 2013 than it does the highest years under both the last ownership and the current one. It absolutely is fair for Mariners fans to say this ownership should go out and spend. Should they overspend? Should they give Xander Bogarts $280 million? Should they give Aaron Judge $400 million? Of course not. But you have to be more than competitive and be willing to at least slightly overpay, which I don't really love that term, but to slightly overpay. If it's a $175 million market for Xander Bogarts, pay him 185 or 190 if that's what gets him to come here. That's the position the Mariners are in because you go do that and all of a sudden you have Xander Bogarts in that lineup and you have Brandon Nimmo in that lineup. It's a completely different story. We're talking about a team who can be beat teams offensively, even when their starter and their bullpen falter. That's what Seattle didn't have all of 2022. Yeah. If you're the Mariners, you didn't build this foundation and go through all these changes and do this organizationally, take your step back, make these moves and get to this point. If you're not going to finish it off, you got to finish it. You got to go and you've got to make those, those couple of moves. And so whatever the number is for, for where the payroll needs to be. And I'm not saying you have to go out and necessarily do what the San Diego Padres have done. Although by the way, they are a smaller media market than you are here in Seattle. So I I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to make those kinds of moves. And it, you know what, if you fall short on a couple guys and, and things like that, like Jason's talking about, at least make enough moves on the kind of moves to where every night you're rolling out a major league caliber roster and lineup one through nine, because in most games, I would say this year, that hasn't been the case. And you got to do that. If you're going to compete, if you're going to try and beat the Astros, if JP Crawford's the worst hitter in your lineup, you've done something. And and, and that's a good way to look at it from the kind of the bottom up. If JP Crawford's hitting eighth or ninth and he's the worst hitter in your lineup, you've done it. You've put yourself in a position to win 95 to hundred plus games to challenge the Astros, to finally challenge the Astros in the big picture over the course of a 162 game season, because without that, you're not going to, and we're going to be right back here next year talking about Houston and Seattle and Houston just being head and shoulders better than the Seattle Mariners. That's how you do it. You fix it. Yeah. You're going to tinker with the bullpen. You're going to think about things, you know, you're going to look at, Hey, is Tom Murphy our backup catcher? All of those secondary things, they matter, but it, it, the the big things are the significant pieces to the middle of that order. Go out and get your Alex Bregman and go out and get your Jose Altuve. That's what the Mariners are missing right now. Ladies and gentlemen, those are the voices of Jason Churchill, all things baseball, catch the podcast. And my dear friend, Slicky Matthew Slickhawk, Miklas. Boys, you've been great on these special Mariners note tables for the patrons. I am indebted to both of you. I think we should keep this going. 
during the offseason. In fact, I've heard from the listeners, the patrons. They've said, hey, get these guys together every couple of weeks during the offseason so that we can hear more and more. So I hope that you guys will consider that and we'll uh, we'll get together again. Thank you, Jason. You got it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Slicky, you're the best. Thanks a lot. It's time for a visit with a man who is to thank for all of our fun contests on Mitch Unfiltered, like Beat the Boys this NFL season, presented by Fireside Home Solutions. He's my guy, John Waterstrat. He's still my guy, even though he kicked my ass on the golf course the other day. How are you, John? I'm doing great. Thanks, Mitch. Good to have you back. Tell us what's new. What's new at Fireside? Uh, Just the same things. Inventory seems to be getting better. Uh, Lead times are going down and we're really excited when we hear football. We hear fall and that cold, crisp weather and we'll get you warm and cozy this fall. Well, if we need a new fireplace or we want to change ours out, I understand that you have a, a neat special that's going on at Fireside Home Solutions. Yep, yep. I know it's been tough out there and prices have gone up, so we're giving up to $300 off of a gas insert so we can help out people and get you warm and cozy this fall. Wow. So up to $300 off of a gas insert just by coming into the store? Yeah, Heat and Glow's offering up to $300. You can just go on there. We'll help you get the coupon. It'll be really easy. We'll take it right off the bill, and then uh, we'll get that thing installed quickly. And where are we in terms of wait times these days, John, at Fireside? Great question, and I know we always get those questions, and we've been bringing things in stock. We've gotten really good at that. So for stock items, we're out about two weeks, and for non-stock, up to about four weeks, but uh, way better than we were a few years ago. So Fireside and FiresideHomeSolutions.com up to $300 off a brand new insert this fall and Fireside, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Start your search with Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com Unfiltered <laughs> Kenneth Walker Walker with a move to the goal a Seahawk touchdown. Down the sideline and it's a takeaway. Tariq Wollen. His fourth interception of the season. We're really happy with the whole group on defense. They've been fighting their tails off to get it done and to try to get to uh, you know a point where they feel like they're really doing something. And the pass rush just came came to life today, and the guys were all over the quarterback. Here we go. It's time for the Seahawks. No table, Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, Joe Fan, win bet in Las Vegas. Look what we have here, folks. We not only have a Seahawks win as an underdog on Sunday in Seattle, but we've got a defensive-minded Seahawks team winning 19-9. In fact, I'll have you know, Brady Henderson, if it wasn't for a blocked punt and terrible blocking on the blocked punt, if that makes any kind of sense... The Seattle Seahawks kind of threw a shutout on Sunday at the Arizona Cardinals, didn't they, Brady? Uh, their defense almost did, yeah. I mean, the Cardinals had the field goal on the first drive, and, it, and there was sort of some of those issues that you know have plagued them this season with long runs, missed tackles, and it sort of was looking like a here-we-go-again type of game, and then they just totally uh, locked Arizona down after that. And, you know, four of 16 on third down, just one for five on uh, fourth down where the Cardinals were – uh, very aggressive in this game, even, you know, surprisingly so in some cases. And I wonder if part of that was the fact that they had a backup kicker there and didn't want to trust him in some uh, field goal situations. But at any rate, I mean, you hold a team to, to four of 16 on third down and one of five on uh, fourth down with a very mobile quarterback. 
you know, they held Arizona to, I think, 44 combined uh, rushing yards on 18 carries by their running backs. You know, we know how big of a problem it's been for them to stop the run. You know, Kyler Murray did get out on on some long runs, but he's going to do that. And, you know, on one of them, they forced a turnover with Kobe Bryant uh, forcing that fumble. And so just a really good day and six sacks. I mean, that was uh, that was the first that we've seen of that pass rush that you figured was going to be a strength of theirs really wasn't over the first few games, but it definitely was in this game, six sacks from six different players. And by and large, and maybe even on all of them, that was them bringing four guys. It wasn't, I know Ryan Neal came on a blitz, but um, I believe they only rushed four guys on that play. And so you're getting it done when you're, when you're getting to the quarterback uh, only sending four guys, that was a really good job by them. So I head over to Joe fan who had both bases covered because in the KP game, He picked the Arizona Cardinals to win because of the competition with Brady and Mitch. But he also added that he thought he might bet the Seahawks on the money line if he were in Las Vegas, which, of course, he's not. I guess I find myself asking the same question about the defense, Joe, that we asked about the offense after the Detroit game. Remember, the question was, oh, my God, the offense was great, but how much about it was the Detroit Lions defense? So now I'll reverse it. The Seahawks' defense by any stretch, by any measure, was fantastic on Sunday. How much of it was about how incapable right now the Cardinals' offense is, especially missing some of the guys that they were missing? I tend to lean towards it being the latter, where the Cardinals are just an absolute mess and have been for most of the year. Again, we've talked about it on the Thursday show or the Friday show that they're lucky to have two wins. And the way they've gotten to those two wins has been luckier than not. Um, and and the, a formula that's not super sustainable. They are a comprehensive train wreck right now. The Kyler Murray and, and Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime, for that matter, were undeserving of their extensions when they got them in the offseason. And now six weeks in, they look even more foolish where you're saying, gosh, I, if you're, if you're picking, you know, anytime you're you're down bad, you're, you're expecting that maybe it's going to be a tough year. You're like, well, at least we're not that team. Well, that's exactly what the Seahawks are doing with Arizona and saying, well, this isn't going to be a flawless year. It's going to go through some growing pains that have clearly been, you know, better for the most part, at least offensively than maybe some expected, but the Cardinals are in a really brutal, brutal uh, spot as a franchise, given the the money they've got locked up to Kyler long term. It, it's a, an albatross of sorts if it doesn't get better. And um, I just don't think Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury is the combo that's going to get them where they want to go. So that being said, I do think you tip your cap to the defense. Um, you don't take it away from them. But I want to see it against the Chargers. They do it against Chargers. Similar thing we said about the Saints. I think it's mm-hmm. it's a super fair thing to say. They have been on historically bad paces for the first five games. Yes, they were sensational here, but but I've seen too much to just forget about what happened in those first five weeks. So let's flip it around, Brady, to the offense. We saw some issues offensively that have not really peeped their heads the last several weeks, at least. I don't think the offensive line played nearly as good a game as it has in the past. There were tons of penalties. There were some some jail breaks on pass protection. Even though Kenneth Walker, and we'll talk about him, had a good day, there weren't, there weren't a lot of big-time holes and lanes. Uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I think, combined for four catches maybe, five catches. The four end- catches. All right. So the Seahawks' offense, for the first time in weeks – 
was bottled up on Sunday by the Cardinals defense. I don't know that any of us saw that coming. No, and and yeah, and your offensive line didn't, you know, as much as we've talked about how good that group has been and how it looks like they have a really good group there for the first time in years. I mean, they they kind of got their butts kicked in this game. I felt like between the pressure, Ken Walker had, I think, a nice day overall, but I agree with you. There was a lot of plays there that just Nothing sort of there. went nowhere. Yeah. And, you know, Geno Smith was sacked five times. I don't think all of those were necessarily on the offensive line because there were uh, there was one or two where, you know, he sort of held on to the ball and maybe you call those coverage sacks. But by and large, I think they had a tough day against, you know, a, a good defensive line that's got some guys there. J.J. Watt, uh, Allen, uh, some other guys there. So sort of like what Joe was saying with, you know, the defense there, there's been so much more bad than good that you can't really say that the defense has turned it around. I would say with the offense, there's been so much more good than bad that I don't know if this is necessarily a cause for concern so much as uh, they just kind of had to grind out uh, a win against a, a good defense. I think just to add real quick onto that is it wasn't a great game for the offense, but, but Geno Smith, He's really good at avoiding the big mistake and you can win a lot of games when you're not turning the ball over and you're forcing a team to drive the full field. And so I think that's just such a layer of his game that I think you knew going into the season, you were going to get that, which is why he is the trusted person to be, to be this team starter. And we've seen so much evolution in terms of a playmaker beyond just a game manager. But I do think game manager gets a really bad rap because everyone wants a franchise quarterback, but you can go, pretty long ways with a reliable game manager. And and Geno Smith gave that to you. And he has shown that he can be a lot more than a game manager in other games this season. None of us hate a game manager when we've seen instances where he can be more than that, I guess is what I'm, I'm saying. Uh, Let's get injuries from Sunday that you know of Brady, and then we'll come to Kenneth Walker and we've got to do taco time Northwest and their continuing pursuit of a great team. Some, some who was doing some work. And I want to also ask about the NFC West after the uh, embarrassing performance by the 49ers in uh, in Atlanta. I also want to mention that I'm the only one of the three of us that has seen the original Rocky. We'll get to all of that in a moment. Uh, injuries first, Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, please. It sounds like they made it out of this game pretty good injury-wise. I know uh, Austin Blythe came off the field. Shelby Harris did, but we asked Pete Carroll about those uh, he said they both appear fine and that they appeared to come away with this game, come away from this game without suffering any notable injuries. So all good there, it appears. Kenneth Walker, Joe, we all wondered, and we've heard Brady say on this show over and over again that way back in the spring or way back in, in mini camps, he really showed the spurt and the there were some really good moments for him in practice sessions. And then he got hurt with the hernia and now he's back. Now Penny's out for the season and we get to see the first instance of Kenneth Walker, the third, being the featured running back for the Seattle Seahawks. How much did you like him? He's fun to watch. Uh, it's amazing how slow the game already appears to him. His vision is so good. The burst, the agility, the footwork. I mean, his touchdown run was pretty slick. You know, the change of pace, the little juke, the little little dead leg, and then and then burst to the goal line. The, I mean, it was... It's fun to watch. And so I think you've seen the elusiveness, the break tackle ability, the top end speed, that all of that I think has been really evident over the course of these last two weeks. And it is interesting. I think, you know, maybe you're seeing a little bit of a a rise in in the running back again in in the NFL, where you're looking at Brees Hall, a guy who was taken high in the draft as well, 
has been a stud for the Jets yeah. who have a winning record right. with Robert Sala. And uh, he, he, Robert Sala was asked after the game, like, what, you know, what about Brees Hall? Is it, you can't, you can't put a price tag on home run hitters. And uh, I think the Seahawks certainly have that with Kenneth Walker. Really, really good game. And, you know, he had, I thought some, uh, kind of cool comments afterwards talking about how he was playing for Rashad Penny. And, you know, from every indication, like Rashad Penny is really supportive of the guys that he plays with in the backfield. And, and, you know, you might think that I'm sure it is really competitive, but you might think that that competitiveness sort of gets in the way of those relationships. And Walker just went on and on about how supportive Penny has been. So that I thought that was a cool moment, but yeah, you just, the, the burst is, I think what, what stands out the most about him and he can just go, he gets the ball and he goes and the cutbacks too. Like he doesn't just cut back side to side. Like you can see him. If stuff gets really muddy in the middle, he can actually cut backwards, try to make things happen uh, when it looks like the play is broken down. I still think there's a lot more room for them to use him as a pass catcher. I know he did not do a ton of that in Michigan state, but telling you, his hands are way better than some of his non-existent receiving numbers in college would suggest the guy can catch the ball. And I think that that's, that's an avenue of their offense that they can uh, tap into more so, but really good day for him in his first career start. Let's talk about the NFC West. And before I do that, I'll ask the question who would like to have over five in Vegas on the, the total for the Seattle Seahawks in 2022. Now that they're three and three through six, Look, I don't, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but I feel like as the host, I should ask the question. I sat around and watched on Sunday the 49ers lay an absolute egg in Atlanta. I watched an Arizona team against Seattle that looks terrible, as Joe points out. I got to tell you, I watched the Rams week to week. I watched their win against the Panthers. They don't look like anything that anybody would fear. I know it's only six games and I know the Seahawks are in a rebuilding mode, but at what point, Joe, do we start wondering aloud if the Seahawks could maybe hang around, hang around playoff contention come weeks 15, 16, 17, and 18? I put that on Twitter uh, after the game. The NFC is so... He brought the bell with him to Vegas. I love it. The NFC is so bad as a whole. I mean, you look at what Green Bay did. They got smoked by 17 at Lambeau Field against the Jets on Sunday. You know, the, the New York Giants are, you know, outside of the Go NFC down. East, yeah. you know, you've got the Vikings who don't feel like, they feel like a sort of fraudulent 5 and one team. I don't think anyone's afraid of the Vikings. The whole NFC South is a nightmare. Nobody's afraid of the Buccaneers right now. And then you have the NFC West. So if you can hang around 500, you are going to be in the conversation for a wild card spot. And then it comes down to tiebreakers potentially. And it's going to be a really um, crowded bunch in the middle, given the parody, uh, or I guess I should say mediocrity of the conference. But yeah, the way it all looks, you know, I just don't think there are enough teams, seven teams that I would say, like, I know the Eagles are better than the Seahawks. You know, I'd feel good about the, the Dallas Cowboys being better than the Seahawks. If the Seahawks played the Vi the 5-1 and one Vikings tomorrow, I would expect that to be a good game. And I don't think that line in, in Vegas is more than three and a half points. Mm. It does sound sort of crazy, but at three and three and tied for first place through six games, that's enough to say, well, maybe, maybe they do have a shot to, to get into the postseason. Time to do some work. 
in the wake of the 19-9 victory for the Seahawks on Sunday and getting to 3-3 three and three and being in a tie for first place with the other two teams in the NFC West, the Chargers are next. That will be an interesting game and an interesting litmus test, especially for the defense, which comes off of its best performance of the year on Sunday against the Cardinals. Let's begin with uh, Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider. Taco time, Taco Time Northwest celebrating its 60th anniversary with 60 cent tacos on Tuesdays during the month of October. For Joe and I, beef or chicken. For Brady, beef, chicken, or bean. Who was doing some work on Sunday for the Seahawks, Brady? I'm going to give you two, and I know that is uh, uncouth oh, to do. No, <laughs> I'm going to do it. No, I'm going to do it because I'm going to give you one serious no, one no, and one no. lighthearted one. Okay. The serious one is that, I look, I got to say it, and, and this was not like he had any sort of you know monster game here, but by the standards that have been set, D. Eskridge, he did a little bit of work in this game. Three catches for 39 yards. Again, that's not like outrageous or anything, but he is, I think, starting to slowly come into his own. He's starting to get more comfortable, and he's starting to contribute. Again, it's not like a monster game that he put up, but you can kind of tell that he is becoming part of that rotation on a day where, you know, didn't have Penny Hart. Uh, Derek Young is is really not factoring into things. He's, I think, I don't want to say he's emerging, but he's starting to give them something, which is more than he had been giving them previously. So three catches, 39 yards. He was doing at least a little bit of work. Now, my other one is uh, the official who ran in, sprinted in, to blow the play dead and intercepted basically took an inadvertently took a direct snap, a shotgun snap. He had his microphone on. It picked him up saying, Gino, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gino, because Gino was giving him an earful. I really wanted him to take that snap and just keep running into the end zone and just have his moment, you know, but uh, that was really funny. I don't know the official's name, but he was doing some work. You know, what's funny, Joe is I thought his D Eskridge pick was the, (laughs) <laughs> was, the, yeah, was the loony one. I, 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 I was, I was thrown a curveball. I thought when you said D Eskridge, that's the one that's kind of the fun one. That's not real serious. And then you hit me with the freaking umpire with the referee for God's sakes. Okay. Look, the guy has taken enough right. hits on this podcast and others uh, that you got to give him some credit where at least a little bit of credit is due. All right. Since I don't want to be a hypocrite, I'm going to go second, but I don't want to take anything that Joe might be thinking of because, you know, you don't go for seconds at Thanksgiving before everybody else goes for firsts. So I want to ask Brady to help me out because I know I want to do my doing some work for Taco Time Northwest with somebody in the front four. It felt like the front four, the defensive line for the Seattle Seahawks played a freaking fabulous game. They were getting in there, but I can't take them all because that would be violating Joe's trust. So who of the front four Brady played the best, would you say, of that group? I'm going to say Puna Ford. Okay. Yeah, he had one of their six sacks, three tackles for loss. Puna Ford is Mitch Levy's doing some work. I would think that Kenneth Walker needs something, doesn't he, Joe? Are you going to leave him out or no? Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, Brady, Brady taking two and going with the ref and D. Eskridge left a lot on the table, and so and so I am player. also going uh, to take two. Uh, Kenneth Walker certainly deserves it. Uh, the best player on that offense uh, for the Seahawks on Sunday, uh, and then you have to give. Uh, some taco time love to Tariq Woolen, who Amazing. now has yeah. four interceptions in in four straight games. Um, he has been absolutely sensational. And I think we talked early on, it was 
you know, he's in the right spots. He's just got to trust his, his skills, his ball skills, his ability, um, and not panic in the moment. And it will for an unnecessary, uh, illegal contact or defensive pass interference. And I think this interception on Sunday was very indicative of an evolution there where he knows he's in a good spot. He goes, finds the football, locates it and makes a great catch. It's a heck of a grab, uh, for the takeaway. So, um, man, this Seahawks draft class feels like they hit uh, a very important home run and Tariq Woolen might be the best of the bunch alongside heck, Kenneth Walker. And we all kind of said early on that what Woolen needed most was just a little bit of confidence in himself because he was always seemingly in the right spot, but he didn't trust himself at the moment of truth when the ball arrived and he got some some cheapy penalties and we all wondered, OK, what's going to happen if we hope not if and when he starts really believing in himself. And with these interceptions and the, the the pick six and he picked up a fumble and it just feels like that Woolen is starting to look in the mirror and see a bona fide NFL player. And that's good news for the Seahawks. You wanted to say something, Brady? Yeah. And, and four interceptions in four straight games. And it's not like he is lucking into any of these balls where he's just in the right place at the right time to catch a tipped ball or an overthrow. Like he is putting himself in the right place at the right time. He, he's, you know, undercut two crossing routes. Uh, he jumped in front of the comeback route last week. And then you see him get the jump ball in, in this game on Sunday. And I think it, I agree with Joe. It's it's a perfect example of, you know, him showing sort of the poise at the moment of truth that he maybe didn't really have earlier in the season. And Pete Carroll made a comment about that, about how he wasn't really comfortable uh, with those types of situations. And it's clear that he is now. And so the way that teammates talk about him, I have never heard as long as I've been covering the Seahawks, I've never heard players talk about a rookie the way that they talk about him. And I mean, Quentin Jefferson said, I think he told Jen Mueller after the game, he said, I'm calling it right now. He's going to be in the hall of fame. I mean, he's obviously getting ahead of himself, but the point is, that's how these guys are talking about Tariq Woolen. Okay, I'm not going to update who won the KP on this edition of the Seahawks No Table because we have two shows a week. There'll be another one that's out Friday. And my arm is hurting, my hand is hurting, and I don't really want to ring the bell again during this particular segment. So I won't tell you guys who won another KP uh, in Sunday's 19-9 to victory for the Seahawks over the Cardinals. We'll... Uh, We'll gather together on Thursday for a show that that is released on Friday. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks Insider. Thank you, Brady. Thank you. And my friend Joe Fan, who's currently in Seattle, but by the time this is released, you're pretty close to it. He'll be back in his, his old stomping grounds, win bet in Las Vegas. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, fellas. And here she is, senior financial planner for Evergreen Golf Call, Katie Versio. How's everyone doing over there at Evergreen? Things getting a little better in the investing world, Katie? <laughs> you know, we're, we're hanging in there. It's been a pretty bumpy ride, though, Mitch. Yeah. It's been an interesting summer, to say the least. Yes. Katie has three stump the band questions from the financial world, and I am ready. Is there a topic this time around? Yes. So we're doing a market update. It's been a very volatile ride across all financial markets this year, so I'm going to kind of quiz you on topics I've asked you about earlier this year, just to see how things have changed. Okay. Question number one. I'm ready. I've asked you several times this year. We've discussed U.S. consumer inflation. It's been really high this year. In May, the inflation increase was 8.6% year over year. And in June, it was 9.1%. What was that figure in July? Was it an 8% change, 8.5 or 9%? Just to stab, I'll go B8.5%, Katie. That's right. Yes. 
So while still very elevated at eight and a half percent, that's a very high rate. The figures came in lower than expected. And so that really boosted the market here in the last few weeks. So inflation is coming down a little bit, which means I can do no worse than 333, which is a great batting average on the Mariners. Go ahead. Question number two, Katie. Okay. So in April, I asked you about interest rates that you could earn on a six-month CD. In April of 2021, you could earn 0.17% interest on a six-month CD. And in April of 2022, you could get 0.2% interest. So even though at that time, the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates, it was not impacting savings rates for individuals. So today, what could you earn on a six-month CD? Is it 0.3%? 0.6% or 0.9%? I'll go 0.9%, Katie. That's right. Yes! Yes! Now that the Fed has raised interest rates several times, it's starting to trickle down where investors can earn a little bit more on some of these types of investments. So the Fed raised 0.75% in July, and they're being a little bit more aggressive trying to rein that inflation in. Well, I'm not sure in all the years that we're doing this, Katie, that I've ever gone three for three. I don't know what I'm going to do if I go three for three on this one, but I'm ready to give it a try. What's question number three? Okay, so I'm giving you an easy one with oh, the last one. Oh. It's a true or false question. True or false, both stocks and bonds are down this year. Absolutely true, because I know that when stocks are up, bonds are down and vice versa, but that's not the case this time around. That's right. You got that right. The S&P 500 is down about 17% this year, and bonds are down about 12% this year because of what the Federal Reserve is doing with raising interest rate. It has been negatively impacting the price of bonds. Just a very volatile time, and we at Evergreen have been very active in managing our portfolios and trimming when the markets are going up and buying when things are going down, and we think that volatility is here to stay for at least the short term and that it makes sense to to be actively managing a portfolio. Well, I hope our audience understands that I'm going to keep this one up on the uh, on the podcast for the next two or three <laughs> years because I just I just went three for three before you finish Katie Versio you have a, a little survey that you guys are doing on the website yes if you go to evergreengk.com you can access our client compatibility survey where you can learn more about us and if you're interested in our management style and if we could be a good fit you can take our client compatibility survey talk about a great fit Evergreen Golf Call has been just a terrific partner and sponsor of Mitch Unfilled since the beginning where would we be without them evergreen golf call everything wealth unfiltered first down midfield and hooker can't take a sack double clutches throws it is caught did they get the timeout from 40 the way a knuckleball. He got it! Hey, Taco Time Northwest now 60 years old, celebrating with 60-cent crisp tacos on Tuesdays during October and presenting the Rick Neuheisel Variety Show. First you had Ed Sullivan, now you've got Rick Neuheisel, although it's been a long time, Rick, since you've gotten the guitar out and sung for us here on Mitch Unfiltered. I believe I sang for you last year, two out of three ain't bad, but it's been a long time, and you've got the people of Mitch Unfiltered wondering what's up. Did he retire? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, You know, I'm just one of those kind of uh, (laughs) retired, you know, musicians that basically when somebody calls out and says, hey, do you have a song for this occasion? Then I'll come up with a ditty. I see. Why wouldn't I? I see. Well... 
Your pick, shall we say, the Sunday, the ice cream of Michigan. The ice cream was right down Main Street, baby. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Michigan was in the winner's circle and with relative ease over Penn State. Now, I'm not going to mention the cherry or the nuts. <laughs> or the nuts. We're not mentioning the cherry or the nuts here on this episode. CBS execs had to be giddy over Alabama versus Tennessee on CBS. Yes? Oh, my. What a game. What pageantry. The uh, Doing the postgame show was one of the uh, more fun things I've ever done. Just looking at the scene with the fireworks going off high atop Neyland Stadium. Uh, orange euphoria, if you will. And you, being from the Harvard of Central New York, you got understand <laughs> orange euphoria. Now, wait a second. We've got Montana to Rice. We had Manning to Harrison. We had Aikman to Irvin. We had Bradshaw to Swan. We had Neuheisel to Sherrard. We have Hooker to Hyatt, right? Hooker to Hyatt. I mean, holy smokes. This is an unbelievable combination. Mitch, what they do is they spread the formation as wide as you can get. The receivers almost are, uh, well, they are outside the numbers, mm -hmm. almost to the sideline. It's an old Art Bryles trick. And so what happens is you take your DBs all the way out there, and then you realize we're never going to fit in the run game. And the run game, and you start kind of cheating people in so that when you put two receivers to that wide sideline, Rarely are two defenders out there, so you have one. So somebody's always allowed to break to the inside. And we saw that over and over again in the ballgame. Well, that safety who's sitting high atop that gets tired of it coming downhill. So you get a little nosy, and you can just end up running right by him. And that is exactly what Jalen Hyatt did on a couple of occasions. And it was a wonderful, wonderful performance by uh, Hendon Hooker, 21 of 30. 385 and put his name hooker for Heisman mm -hmm. right there. Uh, high atop uh, that candidate list. Why wasn't the greatest college coach of all times team ready for that? What you just explained. And how do you explain 17 penalties on the Alabama crimson tide? Did I read that right? You read that right. And, and put that together with 15 on the road at Texas. I mean, it's a ridiculous a number of penalties, and the only way to fix that is coaching. You can sit there and say the kids are undisciplined, but they're undisciplined because you're allowing them to be undisciplined. So Pete Golding and Nick Saban, uh, who's still on that defensive side, coaches in that secondary are going to be absolutely maniacal in terms of trying to get their attention on this deal. You ask why are all those open passes? You're just... They, they were hell-bent. I only counted as I looked at the game maybe three or four times where they went a three-man pressure. They were hell-bent to get four-man four man pressure and get somebody in his face, but that Tennessee offensive line was outstanding almost all night long. Mm -hmm. The one interception is Hooker's first on the year was when Will Anderson pushed the tackle back into his face, but almost every time they were able to handle twists, handle charges, it was a beautiful job, and Hooker was, uh, was uh, equal to the task of playing the Crimson Tide. Most of us believed going into the game that the only way Tennessee wins is if Bryce Young doesn't play. Well, not only does Bryce Young play, but he throws for 455 yards in his first game back due to injury. Should we then 
because he played, should we read into the result a little bit more, whether it be about Alabama or about Tennessee? Oh, I, I think you you give Tennessee all their credit. That okay. was Alabama's offense and then some. Bryce Young threw 52 times. That doesn't look like a guy who didn't get much in the way of practice. And he was brilliant. And he was brilliant. I will say he was so brilliant that Nick Saban and Bill O'Brien lost track of strategy at the end because they trusted their quarterback in such a way that they didn't run the ball when they got the ball down to the 32-yard line. They threw three incomplete passes, which left Will Reichert with a long field goal, but that's not what I was concerned about. You needed to get Tennessee's timeouts out of their hand. Heupel would have had to use his timeouts if you ran the ball twice there, and there would have been no chance, even with a missed field goal, for him to go down the field and get himself a, uh, a chance on the other side. But as you pointed out last week on Mitch Unfiltered, and I guess we got to bring it up again this week, Alabama always seems to figure out a way, if they're going to lose a game, to lose, not to hurt them. <laughs> to lose the one game that's easiest for them to overcome as they move forward in the SEC. Once again, this was a crossover game. Uh, it will not hurt them in their race to the uh, uh, win the West and get to Atlanta. And should they get to Atlanta, you may have a one-loss Alabama team. You'll have certainly a one-loss, uh, well, it could be Georgia undefeated, and Tennessee one loss sitting outside watching. And you could have then Alabama beat Georgia as they did last year, three one loss teams from the SEC that all would have their hands up. Choose me, choose me. And even potentially a one loss Ole Miss team. Right. If right. they keep winning and they'll be on CBS this weekend against LSU down in the Bayou. If they only lose to Alabama, you could have four one loss. It could be table for four. Yes. But this entire scenario it feels like comes down to that Georgia-Tennessee game. Right. So Tennessee has taken care of Alabama in a very emotional game in Knoxville. Can and Florida. Don't forget their Florida. Now, Florida doesn't look as big, but anymore. for Tennessee fans, right. Right. they were 1-29 against those two opponents starting the season. But my question is, it's one thing to beat Alabama in kind of the game you circle at home, place going crazy, the whole the whole picture, the whole visual. In a few weeks' time, that same Tennessee team's got to get up, go to Athens, Georgia, and face a defense that looks a lot different than the one they, they faced against in the Crimson Tide. And operate on the road in front of another maniacal crowd. Right. Yeah, that's going to be a different challenge, and we'll wait and see. But Weren't you impressed with Hennon Hooker's poise in that pocket? Crazy uh, good. Crazy. It, it, it reminded me of Joe Burrow just a couple of seasons ago where he just looked that poised. And those receivers were so effortless in terms of their ability to get open. It was very reminiscent of the 2019 LSU offense. With as great as the SEC has been over the years, Rick, and there have been some quarterbacks certainly that have come out of the SEC, it, it feels like it's more wide receivers and offensive linemen and defensive linemen and corners and linebackers. But when you look up and down the SEC this year, look at the quarterbacks in the SEC. It feels like there's 10 future NFL starting quarterbacks. In the, I'm sure that's not the case. You're going to tell me I'm um, uh, uh, hyperbole. But 
Every week, you and I seem to talk about the guy at Kentucky, the guy at right? Florida, the guy at Tennessee, the guy at Alabama, the guy at Georgia. Are all these guys going to be playing on Sundays, or are these just great college quarterbacks? There's no question that they're going to get a chance to play on Sundays. Levis, to me, is a terrific prospect. Okay. I don't know that he's a finished product yet, but the two kids we just saw, Hooker and Bryce Young, are absolute must-play in the NFL. I think that Jaden Daniels at LSU has a chance. Uh, Richardson at Florida is a project, but somebody that's going to put some time into that project, given his unique athleticism. And Will Rogers at Mississippi State, to me, is a guy that stands in there and makes all kinds of plays from the pocket. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a quarterback uh, late in conference, and it's been fun. Yeah. How about some of the thrillers on Saturday? Oh, my. Saturday that come by. I, I want to begin this section of our chat with the Utah-USC game only because it was a phenomenal game. Utah doesn't lead until the very, very end. They strike with a few seconds to go, go for two. Am I wrong? Maybe I'm just old-fashioned, but when when the NFL reinstituted the two-point conversion, and of course we have the two-point conversion in college game, it used to be that when you scored a touchdown to bring you back within one late in the game, you kick the extra point and tie the uh, – maybe you're going to tell me because offenses have just gotten to be so good in the NFL and in college, as simple as that, that I, I can't believe how many teams go for two in what I would call unorthodox situations. Mike Tomlin, for God's sake, so the Pittsburgh Steelers, he goes for two like in the middle of the second quarter when it, there's no need to go – are you surprised how the, the game has kind of changed in terms of two Mitch, versus one? Mitch, I blame analytics. Oh. I blame this whole world that says the math tells you that the odds are in your favor, and it is turning into a cop-out for coaches. It's an absolute cop-out. I don't have to think this through and see, if do I really have a two-point play I love? Is there a matchup that I can't wait to throw this thing or run this thing uh, against? They do it just because that's what the book says to do. We watched the other night where the Kansas City Chiefs tried to go for two. A one-point conversion would have made it an eight-point game. Yeah, I saw that. They tried to get it to nine. They yeah. missed it. Yeah. And it down come the Raiders, and now uh, they're going for two. Kick the extra point. There are four minutes left. That's Patrick Mahomes on the other side. Why be behind? They don't get it. It's nonsense. And it's all about these kids. And they all go in there and say, well, that's what the numbers say to do. It's a cop out. It bothers me. Now, it didn't bother me with respect to Kyle Whittingham. Okay. Because the second half, they were going through them like, you know what, through a goose. All right. They, they stopped themselves on the one drive where they fumbled inside the five-yard line. And, and, and by the way, the fact that uh, Lincoln Riley wasn't using his timeouts there and let the clock get inside of a minute. I thought, okay, if I feel like I can hit this pass and they had that Kincaid kid that was on fire, nobody had even covered, come close to covering him. And I think that's where the ball was planned to go. And then Cam rising, who will be another NFL quarterback. He's really talented. Just put the team on his back and scored. Anyway, I was okay with that one because in an overtime session with all that speed on the SC's deal and your defense had no pass rush, let's get it done and let's get it done now. Rick, TCU took two overtimes and took care of Oklahoma State. 
You convinced about the undefeated Horned Frogs? I love the Frogs. I love that one uh, wide receiver that had the Johnston, the kid that had the great game. I'm not convinced that they're playoff caliber. I think they're a great story, and I'm a big fan of Sonny Dykes. He's a pal of mine. What was interesting over the weekend, you know, we came in, there are 15 teams before the weekend started that averaged 40 points or more for the season. SC and Utah were 14 and 15. They both scored 40. In that number, Oklahoma State and TCU, they both scored 40. In that number were Alabama and Tennessee. They both scored 40. It was an incredible offensive deal, and it just shows you where the rules are and how people have learned how to use the rules with formations to give themselves, when they have adequate quarterbacks, chances to make big plays. And uh, it's an offensive game right now. But I I love TCU, but I'm not uh, willing to go there. And as a matter of fact, huge game against Kansas State this weekend. Clemson rolls. Beat FSU probably more handily than the final score might have indicated. And dare I say, Rick Neuheisel, there's another ACC unbeaten after the Harvard from Central New York. The Harvard of Central (laughs) New York got one of the great breaks in college football history. It was announced (laughs) that the quarterback of the opposing NC State team was going to miss not only that game, but the rest of the year. Oh, what a nightmare. So so Syracuse and Clemson this week, Syracuse and Clemson this week, dare I say. Speaking of orange. Yes. Speaking of orange. Dare I say. It's an orange out. Yes. Uh, Dare I say for ACC supremacy? Dare I say it? I'm going to give Syracuse a puncher's chance. All right. Because Schrader's playing consistent football, hasn't turned it over much. They have a very good defense, a defense that, and, and I don't still don't think that DJ Ui Ungalale is the next coming. I don't think he's in the category of the two kids we saw play in, in Neyland Stadium. Okay. And Sean Tucker, to me, is a good player. It's just, can they get him and create a couple of short fields? That's what's going to come down to for Dino Babers and his, and his charges. Well, we're going to find out if you really, truly believe what you said, that they have a puncher's chance coming up in Rick's picks because gosh, gosh knows if you want, you can have the, the right shade of orange plus about 13 <laughs> and a half or 14. Before we get to your pick, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Mm. They lost to Stanford. Right. Rick. How long is the slack on uh, a new Notre Dame. I mean, they loved him there. They loved him as a coordinator. He's a very popular choice as head coach. We all want him to succeed. He seems like a a great guy, but man, Notre Dame has had a bad year and they're losing to Stanford last weekend. That's a tough one, especially given the fact that Stanford had lost four in a row. As a matter of fact, there were three teams last week, Mitch, that got off the mat. Miami had lost three in a row. They beat Virginia Tech. Stanford had lost four in a row. They beat Notre Dame and Michigan State, who had lost four in a row, uh, won in overtime over Wisconsin. It's a tough loss for Marcus Freeman because it looked like they were starting to gain some traction. They have UNLV this week, and then Clemson comes to town. And I had thought, had they gotten past Stanford and UNLV, this might have been a chance for another, you know, hey, Marcus Freeman is the chosen one, right? Mm -hmm. Well, he's got to go back to the... uh, to the chalkboard and with him has to go Tommy Reese as offensive coordinator because Stanford, uh, they, they should have scored more than 14 points against Stanford. Two 
Final pieces of business that we always take care of during our segments together on Mitch Unfiltered. Before we get to Rick's picks, might I say five and two, over 70% against the spread is Rick Neuheisel after that god-awful year of a season ago. He's five and two. But before we get there, Taco Time celebrates not only its 60th anniversary, but they celebrate at Taco Time people who love to do some work. Now, the obvious. There are some obvious, and you're okay if you want to go with the obvious from Knoxville, Tennessee, of some people that were doing some work. Would you like, I always give you the choice. Would you like to go first or second this week on who was doing some work courtesy of Taco Time Northwest? Because my defense is so stout, I defer. I defer oh, the coin toss okay. and I allow you to do this first. I'm going to I'm gonna let you have your pick of guys in Knoxville or the SEC. I'm going to go off the radar a little bit, Rick right. Neuheisel, to your old stomping grounds. Because as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, the Colorado Buffaloes have won a Pac-12 college football game. Yeah. Am I wrong? Yes, they, they did. You're, you're absolutely right on that. I've been told that this is the first time that they've won a conference game since Rick Neuheisel was patrolling the sidelines. <laughs> they fired their coach. Nobody nobody wishes that upon the, the, the kids that are playing football for Colorado, that proud institution. They go out. They win 20 to 13. I say we, we tip a cap. On this edition of the Rick Neuheisel Variety Hour, we tip a cap to the Colorado Buffaloes, winners 20-13 to 13 over California and winning their first Pac-12 game in a very long time. They were do- The Buffaloes were doing some work, Rick Neuheisel. It, it wasn't quite the field storming that we saw in Neyland no. along the banks of, ten- of the Tennessee River, but, but they did storm they the did. field. They sure which did. Which tells you the state of things. Yes. But uh, congratulations, congratulations to Mike Stanford and the Buffaloes for doing some work. Yes. Also getting off the mat. I gave you three teams that got off the mat. Oklahoma had fallen on really hard times, but they got Dylan Gabriel back. Dylan Gabriel against the Kansas Jayhawks, who are no slouch. No slouch. 29 of 42, Dylan Gabriel. Two touchdowns. He was doing some work. He'd been down for concussions, and everybody's nervous about concussions again, as they should be. He had to sit, but when he came back, he was there for his troops. And I like the way Oklahoma responded with a brilliant offensive uh, showcase of their quarterback. And Dylan Gabriel, to me, was Taco Times doing some work. Very candidate. nice. Very nice. Cherries and nuts be damned. The cherries and nuts part of the picks last week didn't do particularly well. BYU versus Arkansas. And there was a there was another one in there that I had forgotten, but we don't have to even Texas. Texas, Texas I thought. Yeah. yeah. They they limped home. No. Yep. No, but Bad. you were very clear. You said last week on this show that you're Michigan. your official pick. The Michigan Wolverines, and I watched that game closely. That game was a one- or two-point game at halftime, and it should have been three touchdowns. Michigan dominated the first half, but because of a couple of big plays, a quarterback run, and a pick six on a ball that bounced off a guy's helmet, the game was actually (laughs) close at halftime, had no business being close at halftime. Michigan was by far and away the supreme team on the field that day, and they went ahead and steamrolled them in the second half to make Rick's picks five and two against the spread this football season. So here we are. 
in weekend number eight. I'm going to give you I'm, I'm, my pick. I'm just, we'll start with my pick, but I have okay. a little cherry, oh. but I don't want it to be a cherry because my son coaches for the cherry oh. team. Oh, okay. So I, I, I'm just giving you my impression. Okay. My impression is that UCLA is going to win in Austin stadium. They're, they're a six point underdog. Really? I think they're going to win the game. You do. I do that, but that's just cherry. cherry. That's side side stuff. Yeah. Do you realize that Jeff Collins was let go at Georgia Tech? Yeah, and they the now have and hired, the athletic athletic director too, right? and, and the and the athletic director who, but they've just recently uh, hired a new athletic director who comes from Alabama. A kid by the name of Jay Bat is now going to be the new athletic director. But the guy who was given the interim tag is a, a former Georgia Tech player himself. He had been at Alabama. He had been a part of Nick Saban's staff and they're two and zero since he took over and they have Virginia this week at home. Both the games that they won were on the road. I'm taking Georgia tech. I'm laying three and a half and I'm beating the Virginia Cavaliers and going rambling to... wreck from Georgia tech and a hell of an engineer and going six and two. I'm going six and two. Your dad would tell me to run to the <laughs> bank and cash the chips. Enough, Rick. Uh, Enough. He's going to six and two with the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech. He's with us each and every week on Mitch Unfiltered, brought to you by the fine people who love to do some work at Taco Time Northwest. Couple of reminders. If you're looking to do some work, tacotimenw.com. They're always trying to add to their team. And the 60th anniversary, they're celebrating with 60-cent tacos on Tuesdays during October. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend Rick Neuheisel. Until we meet again for the Rick Neuheisel Variety Hour next week. Thank you, Rick. See you, Mitch. Zeke's Pizza President Dan Black. Dapper Dan Black is back with us. How are you, Dan? I'm doing good. We're back to Dapper. We're back to Dapper. And it's the heart of football season. And when I think of football season, pizza goes well with watching football. You guys have specials and Zeke's. It's a, it's a good time of the year, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I think I'm like everybody else, and it's my favorite time of year for sports. And lots of football all the time, fantasy football, Seahawks. Zeke's is a key part of that for me, I think, like a lot of people. And whether I'm posting up at the bar watching a game or, mm-hmm. or getting it delivered, yeah, there's specials going on all the time. It depends on location. So the best thing to do is just jump onto our website, find your location, and see what's going on. A little behind the scenes here with the recording of these chats. I said to Dan before we started, what's going on? And you told me it's fresh hop season. And Mitch Levy said, what the hell is fresh hop season? (laughs) Mitch Levy, not a beer guy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, for beer geeks and just beer enthusiasts and people that are paying attention to the Northwest local beer scene, fresh hops, a special time of year. You know, it's harvest season, and that includes hops, which is one of the main ingredients of beer, particularly for people that like IPAs and stuff. And so what fresh hop beers are is they harvest the hops, and right off the vine, they throw them into the brew kettle. And so ah. these beers have a really hoppy taste. They taste really fresh. They're seasonal. They're only around really for a few weeks. And so people get excited about them, and we're right in the heart of it right now. And Zeke's does beer as good as anybody, particular local Northwest beer. And so you can go into most Zeke's right now and find three of the four best fresh hop beers in the Northwest. And that's not the only thing that people are excited for. Kraken hockey has returned for a second season. It's underway. And that brings up Belltown 
for pre and post game celebrations. Yes. Oh yeah. The Belltown Zeke's bar is cracking headquarters for sure. Uh, we fill up before every game. It's super festive and fun. Everybody's got their cracking gear on. We've got great beer going. Pizza and beer are a great way to fuel up for the cracking. So yeah, no, we love it. It's super fun when the cracking are going. And the answer to the trivia question, the first ever out of state location of Zeke's Pizza is coming soon. Boise, Idaho. We love Zeke's. Great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Homegrown in the Northwest. Hey, look who's back. Look who's back. Jordan Flowers. Cross Country Mortgage. Hear what I did there? Cross Country Mortgage in Kirkland. Weathering the interest rate storm to continually provide his clients cost-cutting opportunities how are you, Jay Flo? Doing great. We're back in the swing of things with school starting, kids' activities. It's a fun time. What's new over there? What are you working on these days? You know, we are staying incredibly busy really right now. It's just educational information for agents and buyers. We're helping agents with their listings, trying to help them see win-win scenarios for their sellers and buyers, trying to keep sales prices up for those sellers to get all the equity they can in the home, but also help buyers see the monthly payment that they kind of had slated in their head. So putting together different payment options and programs for them there. And then holding a lot of homebuyer seminars, homebuyer classes. So if anybody listening is interested in just coming to an informational homebuying seminar and what's available to you and what to be looking for when buying a home, then email me and we'll get you on the next slated homebuying class. Okay. I'll ask you for your email at the end. Because borrowing money has become hopefully temporarily expensive, We've seen a little slowdown in home values, but not as much as you would think. Why do you think that is, Jordan? Yeah, we've not seen much of a dip here. And you might read in the newspapers that a huge crash is coming. We don't really see that happening and playing out in this market. I think we have a very strong economy in general in this Seattle market. We've always been protected, even in the worst times. The last time we went through this in 08, 09, but really prices have leveled out. We're not depreciating. We're just not appreciating as quickly. So I would say still, it's a great time to list. You might not be getting a million dollars over list like we were at the beginning of the year, but we're still gaining value. Yeah. And overall in King County, it's maybe two, 3% right now, but pure Snohomish, we're still looking great. You and your team, of course, kind of famously made the career shift from the former company, let's call it, to cross country. What does that change mean to your clients, Jordan? Yeah, the the switch was really an opportunity for us to have more programs and products available to a larger audience base that we work with, self-employed borrowers, unique income scenario borrowers, investment property buyers, and just a more direct line to underwriting for us to make more make sense decisions on the clients that we have, as well as a much larger product offering for jumbo buyers. So opened up the product mix for us. If you want to take a class or you want to learn a little bit more about home buying, what's the, uh, you always give us your phone number. What's the email for Jordan Flowers? Yeah, my email is Jordan, J O R D A N, period, flowers, F L O W E R S, at myccmortgage.com. Jordan.flowers at myccmortgage.com. We love Jordan Flowers. We love Cross Country Mortgage, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Other Stuff segment, episode 211, Hotshot Scott. Quick recommendation for a show to watch. I know you love two and a half percent of the shows I've recommended to you, (laughs) but I think you might enjoy this one. 
This one's called The Redeem Team, and it's on Netflix. Have you heard anything about The Redeem Team? You remember no. The Redeem Team in the Olympics? No, and I don't think I've ever heard of Netflix. What is Netflix? <laughs> I'll fill you in after the podcast. Um, remember in 2004, the Olympic basketball, men's basketball, U.S. team lost. They got like the bronze medal. Yeah. I think Carmelo and young LeBron. Anyway, the 2008 team was called The Redeem Team. and had LeBron, Kobe, Chris Paul, Carmelo. I mean, it was it was stacked. Anyway, it's really good. It's on Netflix. It's about that. That 2018, a lot of cool video of Kobe holding his young kids, you know, at the time in 2008 and just how they had to come back and bring the gold back to the United States where it freaking belongs. Anyway, I loved it. The Redeem team on Netflix, if you're into basketball and that sort of thing. Is it a one thing, a one shot deal? It is. Yeah, it's not a series. So, yes, it's like a 90 minute show. Because typically, typically you you recommend things that take me like six weeks to eight weeks to, to watch right? season one started in 2003. So you're going to have to get caught up if you don't mind pre cell phone, you know, so you're going to love it. Yes. Did you watch the Seahawks on Sunday? Take care of those Arizona Cardinals and remain somewhere near the top of the NFC West. Did you see that? It was nine to six. And then I remembered that the new Halloween movies on Peacock and I'm like, Oh God, I want to watch that new Halloween movie. This is nine to six or nine to three, or whatever. It's kind of boring, but yes, I did watch the entire game. I'm in love with Kenneth Walker Jr. I had in my notes to talk about him like last week and I just forgot. I'm loving that guy. I think the Seahawks found themselves a running back. Awesome. Yes, I watched the whole thing. What do you love about Walker? I love his, he's got great vision. He keeps his pad square. He runs, he kind of reminds me of, uh, not in the pros, but in college, Miles Gaskin a little bit. Shifty, but yet strong enough to break arm tackles. Got a decent fifth gear. Great vision. Doesn't go down easy. I love everything about this guy. Always, he's, you can just tell he's never going to give up. Until my knees are on the ground, I'm going to keep fighting for yards. I, I'm, I'm stoked about it. I feel sorry for DJ Dallas because this guy looks like the real deal. Why do you feel badly for DJ Dallas? You never expect well, He's not going to be the starter. I mean, he's older than Kenneth Walker. I mean, Ken, yeah. this, this guy's going to be the starter. I mean, he looks like the real deal, man. He looks like he's got every tool. It sounds like you're saying that you're happy Rashad Penny is out for the year. Well, I'm happy. I just we need a running back and we found one. I mean, what are the chances? Our, our backup looks almost as good as Rashad Petty right now. I mean, he looks awesome. I'm loving this. Who was the running back? I was trying to think. It was right around the Marshawn Lynch time. He, he just couldn't stay healthy, but he looked amazing. And we kept saying, oh, this is the new the new Marshawn Lynch. Do you remember that guy? C.J. Procise. No, nope, not C.J. Procise. It was no. another guy. I think he broke his foot maybe. Oh. But a few games, he looked, he looked untackleable. Anyway, this guy, I, I hope this guy actually... Pans out, stays healthy, and he's the running back for the next eight to ten years because I'm in love with him. Were you surprised that they won the game on Sunday? Did you expect him to win the game on Sunday? I don't ever expect him to win right now. So, yeah, I guess I was a little surprised. I mean, especially when it was so close and it was field goals and your your buddy was hitting field goals left and right. Looked yeah. awesome, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> can't make extra points. He, he, he pays them not to score touchdowns because he knows right. he can't make an extra point. He can make the field goals. Listen. That was a really unexpected, it was not an unexpected result because I actually picked the Seahawks to win on the, on the Seahawks no table, but I didn't expect them to win that way. This is the first time really the Seahawks defense showed up. You do realize that if it wasn't for kind of a, a jailbreak punt where Dixon gets the punt blocked and it ends up being a touchdown. The Seahawks win that game by two, three score. I mean, it, that wasn't even a that wasn't even a competitive football game. The yeah. Seahawks go out. They they sack Kyler Murray six times. This is a defense that was, if not the worst in the NFL, right there near the worst in the NFL. Somehow, for some way, they were able to change it around for Sunday. And boy, that defense played well because the offense, for all intents and purposes, 
was okay, not great. The offense did just enough to be able to be competent, but the defense kind of stole the show for the Seattle Seahawks for the first time this year in a a pretty good beatdown of the Cardinals. Six sacks. We we just got done ripping on how awful. Every time, I swear to God, that happens. Every time you get fed up and you go off on someone. Is that, is, is that the, the Levy jinx or am I not? Am I getting that wrong? The Levy jinx is the other way around. It's when I start loving something on the oh. on the show. All right. When I start when I start raving about something and waxing yeah, yeah, poetic yeah. about and giving stats why something is so good. It's it's historical, yada, yada, yada. Typically, it goes the other way very, very fast. And it's just kind of the law of averages. It's the same idea as when we start taking shots at somebody that they turn around and they play well, because. Typically, that's what happens in sports. When you're really, really, really bad, you're due to play well. And when you're really, really, really doing well, you're due to play badly. In this case, the Seahawks defense really showed up on Sunday. That was a terrific performance. They really harassed Murray. They did a great job on the outside. Now, the Cardinals are not built currently to be able to take advantage of the Seahawks. They don't have great receivers right now. DeAndre Hopkins isn't playing. I think he plays next week for the first time. He's been suspended. They really don't have great receivers. Marquise Brown is overrated as far as I'm concerned. But this Woolen guy, Tariq Woolen, I have him on my notes. Oh. Might be the real deal, huh? Oh, he's looking like a shutdown corner. I mean, he's looking like somebody you're going to be able to build around. I don't want to say it too loud because this is the Levy Jinx. Here comes the Levy Jinx. But oh, my God, does that guy not look the part? Of a great, of a future great NFL corner? No. And by the way, a ball came to his hands and he caught it. I, I'm, I'm not used to that on on the defense. A defensive player actually catching a ball that was awesome. And did he recover a fumble as well? Yes, he, he did. One of, it's it's just it's one of those guys that they're just they happen to just be everywhere. You know, recovering a fumble sounds like luck. You're in the right spot, but when you're always around the ball and always in the area and always making plays, good things happen. And I know I'm, I'm loving wool and he looks like that. I think they might, they might have something there with that. And he's tall and lanky and yeah, I love him. And the fastest guy on the team and one of the fastest guys in the NFL. And he, yeah. he jumped the highest in in the combines and he was, he was a combine darling and he was a, a former wide receiver that was converted to defensive back. Like Richard Sherman, wow. you saw the, you saw the graphic on TV, everything about that guy, Looks like the real deal. Maybe it's a little too early to put that on him. And again, he wasn't covering the greatest of the greats uh, right. in terms of the Cardinals. But boy, he did a great job. The whole defense did a great job. And all of a sudden, there's a little bit of optimism. How would you like to have over five wins this season in Vegas, the over-under on the Seahawks now that they're 3-3? Three and three? Would you like to have that, ba- that bet? I sure would. Do you want to sell it? I'll buy it for me right now. 50 bucks. Let's go. <laughs> By the way, the running back I was thinking of is Thomas Rawls. You remember him? Oh, sure. Sure. Remember how good he looked? He looked like, okay, we just found Marshawn's replacement. He had some great. You don't remember that? No, you're making a face. He had some really good games. Thomas I, I Rawls he was, was, a, was a great preseason running back. Oh, he right. had some good games. Please don't make me look this up. I got things to do. After this <laughs> I can't be bothered to go look up stats for God's sake. Oh, and then they're the Huskies, the dogs. Oh, they played? The guy threw for 500 yards and they almost lost. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They won by like 10, right? <laughs> well, they were struggling there for a long time. They oh. got really, really close. The, yeah. the guy 500 yards passing with like eight minutes to go in the uh, in the football game. He had a yeah. chance. He had a chance at one point to go for 600 yards in that game. <laughs> if they could just find a defense, potentially they could be a good team. 
Anyway, uh, anyway, good for the dogs. They got back yeah. on track after they stumbled their way through a couple of weeks and really lost a lot of the momentum that they had built. Uh, and yeah. great for the Seahawks. It's right. it's it's fun. You know, everybody's going to say, "Hey, they're killing their draft choice." Yada yada yada. We need the high draft choice. We'd rather see them lose games because they're not going to the playoffs. I don't know. When I'm in the midst of watching a football game like I was Sunday, the Cardinals and the Seahawks, I just it's just unnatural for me to sit there and say, okay, I want them to play well and then lose at the end. I That's can't right. do that. I just can't do that. I got I, I root for the I root for my favorite teams to win, and I'm happy when they do. And I know at the end of the year they're going to finish like seven and eight or whatever, eight eight and nine. They're not going to be in the playoffs. We're going to wonder, oh, shit, why'd they win that Cardinals game back on on October the 16th? They didn't need to win that game. But I don't know. And, I had fun in, watching. In the NFL, there's no guarantees either. I mean, in, in the NBA, when you know when you know Shaq's going to be the first player picked, you know, you, you'll kill relatives to get that first pick because you know it's just a can't miss, right? But in the NFL, I mean, even let's say you get the first or the second. I mean, there's no guarantees. There's just not. So you just got to go out there and compete and see what happens. Okay. Especially when everyone's three and three in the freaking division. You got a chance. Okay. Other stuff portion of the show. Go ahead, Hotshot. You must have some stuff. You know the name Sonny Vaccaro? Sure. The He's like the shoe brand industry legend. Adidas. Well, they're, well, they're, they're making a movie about his life, and it just kind of made me laugh. The, the movie's going to be focused on how he and Phil Knight pursued, relentlessly pursued Michael Jordan to come to Nike. Guess who's playing Sonny Vaccaro? He got a huge kick out of it at 83, and it made me laugh, too. That would be Matt Damon. I mean, you could do worse, right? <laughs> you could do worse than having Matt Damon's going to play you? It's a pretty handsome guy. I don't know. It's a bit of a stretch, but you know, I saw an interview with him, and he, he thought it was pretty cool that Matt Damon... And then, of course, who's playing Phil Knight? You could probably do the math. Who's Matt Damon's buddy? Ben Affleck. You are correct. He shall be playing Phil Knight. So anyway, I'm kind of curious about this movie. I'm definitely going to watch it. 83 years old, Sonny Vaccaro, and he's loving Matt Damon playing him. Is it time for the jealous and petty portion of uh, of Mitch Unfiltered, or shall we say the part that's a little more jealous and petty than just the rest of the show? <laughs> I'm I'm ready because it's it's better than you texting me about this as I'm trying to shop in Safeway after the podcast last week. So go ahead. Well, I actually have two chapters of the petty oh. and annoyed Mitch Unfiltered. Okay. The first is Byron Allen. We talked about him at the top of the show. Yeah. I just remember 35 years ago there was this late night syndicated show on, like on Sunday. Saturday night, Sunday mornings at like three o'clock in the morning. It was this, it was this talentless guy named Byron Allen. He would, he would interview like actors and actresses at their press junkets at their, at their movie publicity things. And he'd package them together and he'd make a show out of it. And I used to always giggle when Byron Allen came on. And then more recently, I guess that there was, there was like a late night, like comics unleashed thing where he'd have, where he'd he'd have, and I, I just, I always just kind of kind of thumb my nose or I kind of look down on Byron Allen. Like, who is this dude, Byron Allen? Okay, 35 years later, he's trying to buy the Denver Broncos. <laughs> and what else, what, what else is he buying or selling? What did you send me? You sent me something he about bought, a house? He bought a $100 million house in Malibu. <laughs> now, God. Jimmy Shapiro is more talented and funnier than this guy. <laughs> That's the one you go to, the guy that literally lives like a mile from me right now. I have no mile. idea. It's probably like 14 houses down from me. He yeah, just, I know. I never thought Byron Allen was hilarious or funny. I, I I always heard he was insanely rich and I never really got it. Like if you told me Chris Rock was trying to buy a hundred million dollar house, I go, well, of course he's hilarious. He deserves it. Byron Allen. Yeah, I never got it. Never got it. 11,000 th- 11, square feet, two guest houses on a bluff 
overlooking the Pacific Ocean and God. Malibu. And I'm just sitting there looking at this going, okay, this guy is a, a multi-billionaire trying to buy NFL teams. And here's the other one. The other one is Kylie Jenner. Is that her name? Kylie Jenner? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you betcha. I'm reading about her new $73 million jet. And I'm not mistaken. She was the first billionaire under 30 or something like that. And what yeah, did... And and what talent and what, what what am I missing? What did she do? You're trying to get me to go off on the Kardashians yet again. People are sick of hearing me complain about the Kardashians and how they don't go away and they have no talent. And yet they're the most rich and famous people on the planet. Kim had a big ass and she's a billionaire because of it. <laughs> she's never written a song. She's never been in a movie. She's never she's never done anything but be gorgeous. Yeah, I know. Drives me nuts. Too. By the way, I just read to share speaking about now share selling her Malibu mansion. And I'm just thinking Cher has to live next to Byron Allen going, wait a minute. Barbara Streisand's on this side of me. And I got who on this side? Byron, I'm Cher for God's sakes. She's selling her home for $85 million. Byron Allen looks, looks down his nose at 85 million. How do you live in a, in a hovel like that? 85 million. Oh God. Drives me nuts. And here we are grinding it out on Sunday on a podcast. <laughs> Jesus. Somebody has to please tell me what it is that Byron Allen does well. He obviously did something well. He struck gold somehow, some way. But my God, I can't believe it's the same dude that I was watching at three o'clock in the morning when I couldn't sleep or when I got home from the bars in Washington, D.C. in like 1992. I was watching Byron Allen and be unfunny then. And now he's buying $100 million homes. It's just pathetic. I heard someone tell the story about, about Byron Allen was interviewing John Lovitz. Familiar with him. Uh, he was interviewing John Lovitz. And he says, John, so I understand you're getting older. That was his, that was his question. I understand that you're getting older. It's like, dude, are you even like, are you even trying? Are you even paying oh, attention? God. That's your question. Yes. Yes, Byron. I am getting older. Thank you for the, the insightful question. But yeah. He would go to these junkets, Harrison Ford, Madonna, you know, he'd have these A-list names. Just get you and I could go to a junket, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to a movie junket. I have. And you can just go and interview him for two minutes and then they shuffle you out and let the next turd come in and ask him a few. But he would go and he'd, like you said, he'd piece them all together. So you think he's got the biggest stars ever on his show? Jack Nicholson, <laughs> Harrison Ford. It's like, no, no. Yeah, I don't know. I'm jealous and bitter too. I don't know how he made his money. And then when he's interviewing Jack Nicholson at one of these junkets, he like tosses in things like their old buddies, their old pals they used to talk all the time. <laughs> And you could just see like Morgan Freeman looking at him like, who is this guy that's pretending to be my friend? I mean, it's just I, pathetic. I know. And now he and now he's worth more than all of them put together. That's you, right. You take Jack Nicholson and whoever else that he Barbara Stry, whoever share, put them all yeah. together, and Byron Allen is worth more than all of them. I know. I know. I, I don't even want to look up how he made his money because it's probably just gonna piss me off. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm out. Troy Aikman, he's speaking out publicly for the first time since making controversial remarks during Monday Night Football, calling his comments dumb. Yeah. You know the comments that we're speaking of? Dressed uh, down or take your dress off or something like that? Yeah, so he voiced displeasure with how the NFL is enforcing the roughing of the passer penalty. And right. he said, right. my hope is the competition committee looks at, looks at this in the next set of meetings and, you know, we take the dresses off. That's what he said during the broadcast. And so, of course, he's under siege ever since, you know, about being called sexist and misogynistic. But 
he's since come out and said, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. That was kind of dumb. He was on an interview on 96.7, the ticket, whatever station that is. But the roughing penalties have become a big talking point, especially since Tua went down and we all saw him on the ground with his fingers all stiff. And the the call that Tom Brady received against the Falcons, I don't know if you saw that one. I, I saw that today where, I mean, that's textbook nine-year-old youth football tackle. You grab them around the waist and you roll them over. It was nothing more violent to it. And then Tom gets the call. So I, I get the frustration, but you know, take your dresses off. It's 2022. We should probably not say that kind of stuff, Troy. I got a couple of controversies on the other stuff segment, if you'd like. Sure. Let's start with, um, with an Arkansas country club called Moralton Country Club and a guy by the name of Austin Cladgett. You okay. see, there is a, there's a tournament called the Tournament of the Century. It's a three-person scramble format where everybody's got to pay $375 to enter. Okay. And, and they had a hole-in-one contest. You're aware of these hole-in-one contests. The 10th hole, if you have a hole-in-one, the first hole-in-one receives a 2022 Ford F-150 4x4 Super Crew. I've got three Ooh. of them in the garage. Uh, allegedly, the, the value of this truck is $53,595 donated by the nearby Ford dealership Jay Hodge of Moraltown, okay. Arkansas. It should be noted that on your trucks, you have those those fake testicles that hang out the back. You've seen those behind cars. Those, no. You haven't, you haven't seen those? No. But it, people love them. It's like supposed to make you cool. These fake big rubber testicles <laughs> that they hang underneath their truck. You haven't seen those? No. Oh, God, they're called truck nuts. They drive me crazy. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, Austin Cladgett stepped to the 10th hole, and you know exactly what he did. Yes. He sunk it yep. for an ace. Here's the problem. The country club refused to give him the truck, the $53,000 truck for the hole-in-one. Okay. Jay Hodge Ford says they were unable to secure the necessary insurance for the vehicle in time because they believe the vehicle was for display purposes only. Without their knowledge, Moralton Country Club promoted the pickup as a hole-in-one prize, perhaps thinking that no one would actually make a hole-in-one, a decision which has now backfired spectacularly. So the guy, Austin Cladgett, oh, makes the hole-in-one. He goes yeah. to the country club. Where are my keys? The country right. club says, well, you get them from Jay Ford. And Jay Ford says, what are you talking about? We don't have insurance. It was for display purposes only. God. Uh, so what's going to happen now? He's, I mean, I he's going to get the truck, right? I mean, 53 grand. It's a lot of money, but it's not a Lamborghini or, you know, some supercar for 250 grand. Just give the guy his truck. Somebody my give question, him. My question to you is, so when you do a hole-in-one like tourney at these, doesn't it kind of depend on who gets to go first? I mean, if you have a late tea time, you don't have a shot. You said the first one to make it. Yeah, but holes in one don't happen very often, Hotshot. Nonetheless, if a guy makes it at 9 a.m., I'm like, oh, crap. I don't get a shot now. That sucks. That's but the, I guess if they don't make it very often, then it doesn't really matter. That's the way That's the way it goes. And my, my, my second controversy, the San Jose Fire Department Hotshot has started an investigation after a video posted on, online purportedly showed a woman in a bikini. Mm-hmm getting out of an idling fire truck yeah. in front of a strip club. It shows the door of the fire truck swing open and a woman in a bikini slowly descending the steps and close the door behind her. She strolls towards the entrance to the pink poodle strip club. Did you oh, mention, yeah. did you mention the pink poodle strip club on our show last I week? I, I don't think I mentioned the pink poodle. Okay. No. That's why it needs to be repeated. The pink poodle <laughs> strip club in San yeah. Jose while wearing high heels. 
The department has become aware of a concerning video posted on social media, Fire Chief Robert Sapien Jr. said in a statement. An investigation has been initiated to determine the facts surrounding this video. Here's my favorite line. Are you ready? An unidentified employee who answered the phone at the Pink Poodle on Friday declined to comment about the video. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that the mayor was not happy. The heads are going to roll if we decide that this this these city vehicles are being used as party buses or whatever they are. That's a hell of an expensive Uber. I mean, those things are can't be good on gas mileage to be dropping people <laughs> off at their place. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Uh, yeah you watch that. You see the, the, the SMU Navy game? You see it was stopped in the third quarter after SMU scored a touchdown? No. You see why it was stopped? No. The mascot bolted onto the turf. The mascot, you know, SMU is the... the Mustangs. The Mustangs, right. So they have a, a horse named Peruna. Well, the, the poor horse had loose bowels and left an unhappy trail behind it as it ran onto the field after the touchdown. Referees tried to ignore it, but smartly, SMU's head coach thought better and asked to hit the pause button for a sec while the poop was removed. Now, this is where a lack of preparation became a glaring problem. There was no plan, no equipment to remove the poop. You think if you have a horse as a mascot, somebody might have at some point said, well, it might go to the bathroom. Let's have a plan. Something, you know, but so the staff had to walk out on the field and pick up horse poop by hand. It took 15 minutes to make the field proper, properly playable again. There's somebody with two like cups from the stadium trying to like pick up, put it on each end. Come on, SMU. Get a shot. You ever seen those guys at the parades at the worst job ever? They got to walk behind the horses and sweep it into that little thing on the streets. How much can that cost? $18 at Home Depot. Good God. All right, I got a couple of sad stories, and then I'm finished with my other stuff for this episode 211. You've got the Ohio State quarterback, Arch Schleister. Remember him? Yes. He was charged with fifth-degree felony possession of cocaine on Friday in June. He was found unresponsive at a Hampton Inn in Hilliard, Ohio, with a substance later found to be cocaine in his room. He was resuscitated with the help of Narcan, a nasal spray. I think it's Narcan. It's Narcan, uh, yes. Used used for uh, overdose treatment. You remember Arch Schleister. He's been nothing. He's had nothing but problems in his life. There was a gambling. There was a big gambling controversy when he played at Ohio State. He's been in jail back and forth. I think they were attacked. I mean, this this guy's had nothing but problems and he's got more problems. And then the other one was Ben Gordon, the former UConn basketball great and NBA All-Star, I think, 10 10 or 12 years in the NBA. Did you see this? Arrested for allegedly hitting his 10-year-old son at LaGuardia Airport in New York. It comes a couple of years after he penned an essay in the Players' Tribune about being suicidal after his playing day. So Ben Gordon is in trouble with the law. And then I had a couple of RIPs. Do you want me to do them? Or you want to? You have something else that you wanted to add? I know that there was a restraining order against Ben Gordon that his son had. So oh. I don't think he was supposed to be with his son anyway. So yeah, it's that that story's really ugly. And by the way, it's not the first time he's been in trouble. 2017, he freaked out in, a, in an apartment building, pulled the fire alarms. Five months later, he was arrested for roughing up a guy in an apartment. Yeah, so this that hitting a ten year old in the head. I mean, uh, come on, Gordon. Yeah, I know. When I saw that, I was like, oh boy. I hope he gets. I hope he gets the help that he needs. Um, real quick, I want to give you a fishing cheaters update. Do you remember the story about the fishing cheaters? Yeah. Weight on their fish? Yeah, they put weight in their fish so that it, it, it tipped the scales Volatile. and they could win the competition. 
it's a great, it's a great idea, but they've, they've, uh, let's see, Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky were just indicted for attempted grand theft and possessing criminal tools, both felonies. They've also been charged with the misdemeanor of unlawfully owning wild animals. As I, we talked about the two guys were in a competition and weighed down their fish. Had they been declared the winners, they would have pocketed 28 grand, but somebody thought something fishy was going on. <laughs> And so they pulled the fish open, cut it. Where is it? Where is it? There it is. It. You got it? Yeah, I got it. Uh, so far, they haven't publicly responded to the indictment. That's pretty serious stuff. A couple of felonies for rigging a fishing contest. Sure. Be careful out there, everyone. Jeez. Serious stuff. RIP. Rest in peace to Bruce Souter. We talked about him at the top of the show. 300 over 300 saves. He was 69. He had a quick battle with cancer. He was the first ever reliever to make it into the Hall of Fame that had never started a game. He was one of the great closers that I ever saw both with the Cubs and the Cardinals later days with the Braves, had a great fork ball. It would start in the middle of the play, and then just just the bottom would fall out of it and end up in the dirt. Uh, Bruce Suter was 69 years old. And then there's Angela Lansbury. You probably yeah. have her on your list. Six, uh, 96 years old, a veteran of stage and TV and the film star. And, of course, we all know one of the TV shows that she starred in because it was always on Sunday nights, because we would hear Pat Summerall say, coming up next on CBS, right. murder. She wrote. <laughs> Pat Summerall. Oh, boy, I miss that voice. So, yeah, Angela uh, Lansbury, she was, uh, she was also the voice of, I think it was the little pot in, yes. in uh, Beauty and the Beast. Is that right? Yes. M- Mrs. Potts. Yes. Yeah, great, great voice. I mean, yeah, everyone remembers her from... Murder, she wrote, but I mean, she had five Tony Awards while starring in like Sweeney Todd and Gypsy and all these other amazing, you know, Broadway musicals. She had a six Tony as a lifetime achievement. So she was packed with talent, Angela Lansbury. This isn't an RIP, but I just want to give some good, good thoughts to Dikembe Mutombo, diagnosed with a brain tumor. So if you saw that or not, the 56 year old Hall of Famers is receiving treatment in Atlanta. So let's root for Dikembe. He broke my heart as a Sonics fan. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that as he's laying on the floor. Yeah. Any headlines to end uh, episode 211? Yes, I do. Oh, nice. Uh, um, let's see here. An Ohio man holds the Guinness World Records for being the world's oldest practicing doctor at 100 years old. Mm. Still practicing. Said he has no plans to retire anytime soon. This coming on the heels of him accidentally mixing up the colonoscopy equipment with the tongue depressors. But they've since overlooked that. It's cool. Mel Gibson has been <laughs> cleared to testify against Harvey Weinstein. Saw that. Now, Mel has never met Harvey, just heard his last name ended in Steen and was all in. A man undergoing complex brain surgery in Italy played saxophone during his entire nine-hour operation. Sadly for the family, the operation was a success. (laughs) And finally, a New York City man has been charged with smuggling three Burmese pythons in his pants at a U.S.-Canadian border crossing. I personally know how annoying this can be. I get accused of that all the time. (laughs) <laughs> ladies and gentlemen there it is episode 211 the magic of the mariners has run out yep but the off season which should be exciting is upon us soon hopefully there'll be free agent acquisitions and trades and the mariners will take yet another step towards the houston astros in the american league west as for the seattle seahawks good feelings this week after a a nice kind of solid performance as an underdog at home in beating the Arizona Cardinals. The Huskies are back in the win column. We won't mention the Cougars. And this is episode 211, and it's in the books.